With your Amex card, entertainment benefits like special ticket access and pre-sales to select can't miss events while supplies last, make every tap music to your ears. At Bed 365 we don't do ordinary. We believe that every sport should be epic. Every home run, every hit, every inning, every play. From the moments that are legendary to the ones that fly under the radar. Whether it's a walk-off grand slam or a base hit to center field. Whatever the sport, whatever the moment, it's never ordinary at Pet365. 21 plus only must be present in Ohio. If you or someone you know has a gambling problem and wants help, call 1-800-GAMBLER. When you buy Kroger brand products, you feel like you're winning. That's because they offer proven quality at lower than low prices. In fact, we guarantee that you and your family will love how Kroger brand products taste. Or you get your money back. So next time you're shopping for the family, look for delicious Kroger brand products. Because they'll make you all feel like you're winning. Shop now, in-store, or online. Kroger. Fresh for everyone. From BBC Radio 4, Britain's biggest paranormal podcast is going on a road trip. I thought in that moment, oh my God, we've summoned something from this board. This is Uncanny USA. He says, somebody's in the house, and I screamed. Listen to Uncanny USA wherever you get your BBC podcasts. If you dare. America's two great pastimes collide on this podcast. It is baseball and making money. From the dog days of summer through the October Classic, Greg Bases Peterson's going to be free swinging at the betting board as he tries to hit a grand slam for your bankroll. Now here is GP. Folks, we have reached the month of September. Welcome into the Azuni Tequila Studios for MLB Overtime Betting. It is Greg Peterson coming at you once again. And we got a great podcast for you. Scott Seidenberg. He does a variety of things for the Believe Podcast Network, ESPN 98.7, NBC Sports Radio. He's going to be joining me in the second segment. In the final segment, I give you a side in total on every game on today's Las Vegas betting board and something I like to call touch them all. First things first, we got Twitter questions into the Twitter mailbag. Actually, one of them, but as always, you can feel free to tweet them at atunitersquarty1. We do have a question, so that means that it is going to be answered. So you have questions, and Greg may or may not have any insight into them, but let's dive into the Twitter mailbag. Beehawks0035 at Beehawks0035 on Twitter as atunitersquarty1. You lock in a lot of your bets well before lineups are announced. Is that going to change as we get into the final few weeks of the season when a team could potentially rest two or three starters on any given day? This is one of these situations where I've been doing this all year long and I'm not going to be changing my philosophy. Whenever I lock in my bet, I do a little bit of research as to who's going to be out there and everything like that. Obviously, you sometimes have late scratches and everything like that, but you're always paying attention to these managers' press conferences after games and seeing who they're leaning towards giving a day off to, who's going to be going and everything like that. Some of the bullpen guys that they need a few days. It's one of these situations where whenever I fire in a bet, whether it's at 4 p.m. the day before or five minutes before first pitch, I have an idea of who's all going to be going in. It's going to be the same year, obviously, towards the final couple weeks of the season. You're going to see a lot of teams resting guys, but I don't think that it's as prolific in baseball as you might think because keep in mind, even a team like the Houston Astros, who's 
right now just running away with the AL West, they're still in contention to be able to get home field throughout the playoffs as well. So you do want to be keeping these things in mind. Obviously, the Los Angeles Dodgers, a little bit of a different story there, but it's one of these things that I'm actually going to be talking about a little bit more with Scott Seidenberg with September call-ups and everything like that. So we're going to get into a little bit more depth with that, but I'm not going to be changing my strategy with regards to when I lock in plays. I'm just going to be doing it as I feel I have the best number and when I feel I have good information. So that was the Twitter mailbag for today. As always, feel free to tweet those in at GNRSquare1. Please do not DM them. My DMs are a dimension that should not be reached. Every message that gets sent into the DMs goes into a portal of dogs that proceed to eat them before I ever see them. So that is that. And now let's take a look back at yesterday's results, try to find some trends, and try to become better handicappers from it. What happened yesterday? Let's go around the bases and find out. It certainly looked like the A's team was going to be able to get a win to be able to start off the day, but instead the New York Yankees get a 4-3 11th inning win thanks to a walk-off home run by one DJ LeMayu that was his 24th of the year as all the Yankees' four runs came off of home runs as Gary Sanchez got his 31st and 32nd of the year, and then you also had Aaron Judge going deep for his 19th later on in the game as well as Homer Bailey was good in this one along with Domingo Herman. Domingo Herman is now the most profitable pitcher out there in the big leagues. If you bet $100 on every one of his starts, you're up just under $1,100. He gave up two runs over the course of five innings, and then Homer Bailey, five and two-thirds innings, he gives up two runs. This A's bullpen, though, it is a little bit alarming. They give up two runs over the course of four and a third innings. This is not the group that we saw last year. Meanwhile, for the Yankees, they might have the best bullpen out there in the big leagues. A combined six innings from this group. They give up one run in the process. And for the Oakland A's, they were able to do a decent job of getting to a run as Matt Olson was able to do most of the damage. His 27th home run of the year off of Vermont. But this is a team that wound up leaving 15 men on base. So needless to say, the Oakland A's had opportunities that were squandered there. The St. Louis Cardinals did not squander their opportunities against the Cincinnati Reds as they took both in their doubleheader on Saturday. First one was a count of 10 to 6. You had to go to Hudson on the mound and he wound up giving up some runs, four runs over the course of seven and two-thirds innings. But with these two teams playing two doubleheaders in back-to-back days, so 36 innings over the course of like 40 hours, it is one of these situations where you need to eat innings and he did a very good job of it. The St. Louis Cardinals bullpen spent in the top five in the big leagues with regards to ERA and has had the best ERA ever since the All-Star break. They wind up giving up two runs in one and a third innings, but it helps when you get a pair of home runs from the matchers to be able to help things out. Dexter Fowler, 16th of the year, and Yadier Molina is eighth as Trevor Bauer. Did not give the start desired for the Cincinnati Reds. He's now 1-4 with the Reds as he gives up six runs over the course of four innings, including those two home runs. From there, the bullpen of the Reds, which has been in the bottom seven in the big leagues ever since the All-Star break with regards to ERA, they give up four runs over the course of four innings themselves. So that was not necessarily ideal. And then the second game in which the Cincinnati Reds lost was just a total heartbreaker as the St. Louis Cardinals wind up plating two in the ninth to be able to get a 3-2 win. Sonny Gray was once again terrific for the Cincinnati Reds. 6-2 two-thirds innings. He gives up one run and it was an unearned run as he was hurt by a fielding error. And then the bullpen comes in. They get four outs and they give up two runs, both of which were earned. The bullpen once again gives it up as for the Cincinnati Reds. They were able to get a pair of home runs off of Michael Walker in this one. Joey Votto is 13th home run of the year and Josh Van Meter is 6th as Michael Walker has had his walks problem all year long, but he wound up being very good in this one after giving up those two solo home runs. Nothing else over the course of seven innings. From there, the bullpen goes two innings for the St. Louis Cardinals not giving up a thing. And for the Cardinals, they wound up being able to go 3 of 11 with men in scoring position. That was the difference in this one as the St. Louis Cardinals 
playing another under at home. Over 60% of their games have went under at home so far this year. That is the highest mark out there in the big leagues and the Reds have played about 59% of their total games to the under as well. That also the top mark out there in the big leagues. The Milwaukee Brewers have been playing quite a few unders and Wrigley Field has seen nearly 58% of its games go under. It's, I believe, the third best underball park out there in the big league so far this year and the crew winds up getting a great all-around pitching performance to get a 2-0 win over the Cubs. Zach Davies winds up going four and two-thirds innings, gives up four hits but no earned runs and then from there the bullpen goes four and a third innings including Josh Hader getting the final five outs. Josh Hader only won 12 pitches by the way so perhaps he'll be available on Sunday. What we know is going to be available is probably a little bit of better hitting with men in scoring position for the Brewers as they went one of 11 with men in scoring position leaving 10 men on as for Cole Amels did a pretty solid job in this one. Six innings pitch, he gave up two runs, both of which were in the first inning. Bullpen from there winds up going three innings. They give up no earned runs. This is a Cubs bullpen that's in the top ten with regards to ERA in the big leagues. They've done a decent job, but for the Chicago Cubs, there's nothing new in on offense. They leave eight men on base, 0-5 with men in scoring position. Needless to say, a little bit of a bad effort there as in the last 12 to- in the last 12 games that the Cubs and Milwaukee Brewers have played in the great city of Chicago, You've had only one game go over, so you do want to note that. The Toronto Blue Jays and the Houston Astros barely kept their total under as the Toronto Blue Jays get the win over the Houston Astros by a count of 6-4. of Clay Buckles, a man that has now made two starts ever since the beginning of summer. He looked pretty good in this one. Five and two-thirds innings. He gives up two runs, both of which were earned the bullpen from there. Goes four and a third innings, giving up two runs. This is a Blue Jays bullpen that seems to be wiltering a little bit after they were very good coming out of the All-Star break, but they're still doing solid. And for the Toronto Blue Jays, this is a team that has had one of the bottom five batting averages at home so far this year, but they were able to get a pair of home runs at 10 total hits in this one. It's Kevon Biggio, his 12th home run of the year, Teoscar Hernandez is 21st. Those both came off of Frambar Valdez, who is still a guy that you probably cannot trust for the Astros. Gives up six runs over the course of five and two-thirds innings. Bullpen from there gets the final seven outs without giving up a single earned run. And for the Houston Astros, they wind up going one for eight with men in scoring position, leaving eight men on base. They had a couple bases loaded opportunities. They drew nine walks. They just weren't able to drive them in. A team that was able to drive them in, though. How about the New York Mets? They get another win over the Philadelphia Phillies by a count of six to three. And now both these teams have approximately 69 wins as the Mets did not get any home runs in this one. They leave 12 men on base, but they had so many opportunities that it wasn't even funny. Six of 20 with men in scoring position. Steven Matz wound up not being as nails as he has been throughout much of August, but still not a bad start. Five innings pitch, he gives up three runs, two of which were earned, and the bullpen of the Mets just continues to be lights out. A combined four innings, not giving up a single run. They've got a top five bullpen ERA ever since the All-Star break. That after they were third worst in the major leagues with bullpen ERA in the first half of the year. Meanwhile, for the Philadelphia Phillies, they got the lone home run in this game. Bryce Harper, a two-run shot off of Steven Matz, his 29th of the year. And for the Philadelphia Phillies, Jason Vargas was looking to get revenge on his old team. It just did not happen. Four innings pitch. He gives up five runs, all of which were Got to give it to the bullpen in this one after they looked awful on Friday. In this one, they wind up going combined five innings. They give up just one run, so that was a little bit of a better sign. But this is a Phillies team that ranks in the bottom eight in the big leagues with regards to runs per game ever since the All-Star break. The Tampa Bay Rays have been putting up some runs themselves recently. They were able to get a 9-6 win over the Cleveland Indians as Zach Plesak, a guy with a fielding independent Coming into the day a little bit north of 5 and an ERA right around a 3-5. He wound up seeing some regression as he went 5 innings, giving up 4 runs, all of which were earned, including 2 home runs. And a Cleveland Indians bullpen, which has had the best ERA out there in the big leagues, they give up 5 runs, 4 of which were earned over the course of 3 innings. So, needless to say, that was not ideal. But what was ideal for the Tampa Bay Rays was their 4 home runs 
You had Travis Arno go deep for his 15th home run of the year. Obviously, Garcia's 18th, Tommy Pham is 20th, and G-Man Choi is 13th. As Jalen Beek served as the bulk guy in this one, but wasn't too bulky. Only went three innings, didn't give up a single run. Diego Castillo as the opener gave up two runs, and then you wound up having four runs given up out of the bullpen by the Tampa Bay Rays. Giving up all four of those runs was Ricardo Pinto. I've never heard of him before, but needless to say, that was not necessarily ideal. As for the Cleveland Indians, they were able to get a pair of home runs themselves. Carlos Santana is 31st and Francisco Lindor is 26th, but this is a Rays team that is certainly clawing their way back in the playoff picture. They're just a half a game back of Cleveland in the wild card chase. The team that is leading Cleveland in the AL Central chase, the Minnesota Twins, they wind up losing to the Detroit Tigers by a count of 10 to 7. In the last 15 starts of Matthew Boyd, the Tigers had been 2-13, and and they didn't get this one because Matthew Boyd was good. He goes six innings, giving up five runs, all of which were earned, including four home runs. Ever since the beginning of the month of June, he's giving up right around 2.9 home runs per nine innings and has an ERA right around six. So it's not like he did his job here, but the bullpen from there for the Detroit Tigers goes three innings, giving up two runs for the Tigers. They got a pair of home runs off the bat of Roddy Rodriguez, his 12th and 13th of the year. He gets five RBI as the Detroit Tigers power their way to victory thanks to a seven-run third inning as Martin Perez goes two and two-thirds innings. He gives up eight runs, seven of which were earned. It looked like he was turning the corner in his last three starts. That has not been the case, but the good news for the Minnesota Twins, bullpen looks to be doing a little bit better. Five and a third innings, they give up two runs, and for the Minnesota Twins, power was there. Nelson Cruz is 34th of the year. Max Kepler is 36th. C.J. Krohn is 24th. Jorge Polanco is 20th. Mitch Garver is 25th and 26th of the campaign. Problem is, I think that all but one of them were solo shots. So that proved to nip this team in the butt a little bit as the team had all those home runs and yet went 0-5 with men in scoring position. And you do want to note that the last seven times that the Tigers and the Twins have met up, six of the games have went over, one of which has been a push. The Miami Marlins have been the second-best under team on the road so far this year with over 60% of their road games going under, and this was another one. And it was all because of them as the Washington Nationals hang a touchdown on the board and they wind up winning by a count of 7-0. By the way, the Nationals have scored seven or more runs in 12 out of their last 14 games. This team is hot. Pablo Lopez! This is not, though. He goes three innings, giving up six runs, all of which were including three home runs. Bullpen from there wasn't bad. They went five innings, giving up one solo home run for the Washington Nationals. It was a hit parade for them. Anthony Rendon is 30th and 31st home runs of the year. Juan Soto is 30th and Kurt Suzuki is 15th. And Steven Strasburg, after having a little bit of a rough start to the month of August, he has found his sea leagues. Eight innings pitch, gives up two hits, 14 strikeouts. As you had Dana Rainey strike out the strat strike out the side in the ninth as well. This team was just firing all cylinders, and for the Miami Marlins, they were only able to muster those two hits. Needless to say, offense continues to be a little bit anemic for this team, and that's putting it right and that's putting it politely. The Kansas City Royals have been playing a lot of unders recently as well as they have been struggling with their bats in 13 out of their last 20 games going into this one. They had scored four earned, they had scored four runs or fewer, but in this one they have a little bit of an explosion and they get a 7-5 win over the Baltimore Orioles. Jorge Lopez was not good. Four and two-thirds innings. He gives up four runs, all of which were earned, including two home runs. Going deep for the Baltimore Orioles off of Mr. Lopez, Anthony Santander. That was his 15th of the year and Francisco's 8th. Santander would end another one off the bullpen for his 16th but for the Royals the only run that they gave up was that Santander home run that was a solo shot so they wound up going four to third innings of one run baseball and for the Kansas City Royals this is a team that wound up scoring seven runs despite going 0 for 11 with Ben in scoring position I don't know how and I don't know why but you did have Bubba Starlin and Hunter Dozier go deep for Dozier 24th home run of the year and 
It was Bubba Starlin getting his third of the year off of Dylan Bundy, who once again gave up three earned runs or fewer in a start. He did give up four total runs over the course of six innings, but only three of which were earned. He was hurt a little bit by a pair of errors out there in the field. But then from there, the Baltimore Orioles had errors pop up once again as the bullpen goes they combined two innings, giving up three runs, but only one of which were earned. So that meant that the Baltimore Orioles technically gave up four earned runs, but the Kansas City Royals played at seven. Definitely the difference in the game as the Royals were able to take advantage of those errors. The Atlanta Braves were able to take advantage of bad pitching in general as the Atlanta Braves knock off the Chicago White Sox by a count of 11-5. to And for the Atlanta Braves, they only needed one home run in this one. Josh Johnson got his 33rd of the year off of Kelvin Herrera, but this is a team that was just driving him around. 5 of 10 with men in scoring position. And Dallas Keuchel, another pretty good start for him. He goes six innings. He gives up two runs in the process. You did have the bullpen giving up a grand total of three runs, but only one of which was earned. They were hurt by they were hurt by a pair of errors out there in the field. And ironically enough, once again, the reliever Caleb Martin committed one of those errors. How you can have unearned runs when the reliever is one that gives up the errors and they don't count against them, I will never get. But one thing that I do get is the fact that Ronaldo Lopez has fallen back to earth. By the way, we had three Lopez's start yesterday, and all three. Did not necessarily give good starts, so that makes my job a whole lot of fun as Ronaldo Lopez gets two outs. He gives up six runs, all which were earned. Needless to say, that put the bullpen into a little bit of a sticky situation as they wind up giving up five runs over the course of seven and a third innings. And for the Chicago White Sox, they go five of 17 with men in scoring position. They were able to get 13 hits, so they tried to claw their way back, but... And no point in this game were they able to get the long ball, which really cost them. The Texas Rangers continue to be very hot at home. They are now 12 games above 500 in the great city of Arlington as they knock off the Seattle Mariners by a count of 3-2. to two. For the Mariners, this is a team that has been playing nearly 60% of its road games to the over, but they didn't have a lot of offense in this one. As they go 2 of 6 with men in scoring position, they get 9 hits, but they were scattering them around. But what you have to like to see is Tommy Malone actually give a good start in this one. They didn't go with the stupid opener, and that was probably for the better, because in 5 out of his last 7 opens, starts, bulk appearances, whatever you want, he had given up 5 or more earned runs. And this one gives up 1 run over the course of 5 innings, but then the bullpen of the Seattle Mariners, which has actually been the top 10 in the big leagues with regards to ERA this month. They've actually been doing a solid job when you take out the openers. Three and a third innings, they give up two runs, and they blow the game in the ninth inning as the Texas Rangers were able to get essentially all their hits in the ninth inning. It was a Isaiah Kinnear-Felfa game-winning hit that gave them the win, and you got like what you're seeing out of Brock Burke for the Texas Rangers. He goes six innings, he gives up two runs, both of which were earned. He's looked very solid in his limited amount of starts, and then from there, the bullpen of the Texas Rangers looks to be a little bit revamped as well. Three innings of scoreless baseball, and for the Rangers, this is a team that is struggling to put up runs. In the month of August, they wound up playing a grand total of seven overs and 23 unders. Needless to say, they've been a very hot under team, and as a favorite this year, I believe that the Texas Rangers have seen over 65% of their games go under. The Arizona Diamondbacks were once again able to take down the LA Dodgers, this one by kind of 6-5. to five. Robbie Ray was able to I guess you could say be decent for the Arizona Diamondbacks. Five innings pitch, he gives up four runs, all of which were earned, including two home runs. I was about to say decent, but I don't think that that would be the word for it. As Justin Turner down for what gets his 26th home run of the year, and 
Will Smith was the fresher prince of Arizona on this day as he got his 13th of the campaign, but Clayton Kershaw winds up giving up more than three earned runs for the first time in a while, and he hadn't given up more than four earned runs in his start all year long, but in this one, gives up five and five innings. The team had been 18 and five in his starts heading into this one, and then from there, the Dodgers bullpen winds up going three innings, giving up one run, and of course, Kenley Jansen gave up that run, but for the Diamondbacks, how about their bullpen going a grand total of four innings and giving up one run themselves? That was big, and they got a pair of home, and they got a trio of home runs themselves. Eduardo Escobar is 32nd of the year off of Kenley Jansen. That's got to be your big concern with the Dodgers bullpen. Rest of it is solid. Kenley Jansen, not so much. You then had Christian Walker go deep for his 24th, and Wilmer Flores, his 7th. So the Arizona Diamondbacks continue to have the LA Dodgers number. The Pittsburgh Pirates continue to have the number of the Colorado Rockies as they have now won. Six out of their last nine games, 11-4 the final in this one. As for the Pittsburgh Pirates, they were able to get a trio of home runs themselves. Kevin Newman and Jose Ozuna both get their 10th home run in the year, and Josh Bell is 35th, and Josh Bell now has 109 RBI, and they get a good start out of Joe Musgrove. You never know what you're going to get out of Joe Musgrove, but he winds up going six innings, giving up three runs, and then the bullpen from there, just one run in three innings, so very good there. Meanwhile, the Colorado Rockies, they've had the worst bullpen ERA out there in the big leagues ever since the All-Star break, and it didn't get much better in this one. They wind up having to go with combined seven innings. They give up six runs, four of which were earned, and Tim Melville, who had had two very good starts for the Colorado Rockies, well, he made it a grand total of two innings, giving up five runs, four of which were earned. Now the team was hurt by... Four errors, one in which was committed by Tim Melville, which probably led to his unearned run, which I'll still never understand. But for the Colorado Rockies, they were able to get a pair of home runs themselves. Daniel Murphy is 12th home run of the year, and Ryan McMahon is 19th, as Coors Field has seen just four out of the last 17 games played there go over. This was one of them. The San Francisco Giants have not been playing too many overs in the city of San Francisco, and that continued as the Giants averaging right around 3.3 runs per game at home. Meanwhile, on the road, more like 5.4. They lose to the San Diego Padres by a count of 4-1. Joey Lucchese on the road had been pretty woeful. I believe that he had a 2-6 and six record entering in with an ERA north of 5, but in this one, he was tremendous. Six innings pitch, he gives up one run. That one run was a solo home run, as Austin Slater was able to get his fifth of the campaign in the first inning, but Bass had the team was lights out. Kirby Yates gets his 39th save of the year as the bullpen goes to combine three innings, giving up one hit. And for the Padres, they got a home run of their own. Will Myers, who's had a very bad year, gets his 15th home run of the year. That was off of another Will Smith. He was getting jiggy with it with regards to giving up the home run ball as he winds up giving up two runs in an inning as the San Francisco Giants bullpen, which has been in the top five in the big leagues with regards to ERA all year long, seems to be really unsturdy at this point, I guess you could say. They give up three runs in three and a third innings. And Logan Webb, young starter for the San Francisco Giants, should not be on your fade list. Five and two-thirds innings gives up just one run. He certainly did his part, but the Giants offense did not help him out. They get nine hits in just one run, so certainly they were looking for a little bit of a better effort there. And certainly the Boston Red Sox were looking for a little bit of a better effort as well as they wind up losing to the LA Angels by a count of 10 to 4 for the Angels. This was a team that went into the bottom of the eighth inning down by a count of 4 to 3 and they put up a 7 spot. So for those of us like me that had the under, well that was overwhelming and the Angels did so going 7 of 18 with men in scoring position and the big hit in this one, Albert Pools his 20th home run of the year as the Boston Red Sox got actually a open from Josh Taylor. He winds up giving up no runs in an inning and then it was just the bulk guys from there to come in and they give up all 10 of the runs. This was for a Boston Red Sox team that two days 
ago had the best bullpen ERA out there in the month of August. Needless to say, that changed it for the Boston Red Sox. They didn't get any home runs in this one. They were doing a good job of being able to play some small ball, and they took advantage of a pair of LA Angels errors as well. As Dylan Peters goes six and a third innings, gives up four runs, but only three of which were earned as he was hurt by a pair of errors out there in the field. And the Angels bullpen from there winds up giving up no runs over the course of eight outs, so that was something nice to be seen for the LA Angels, but I will say for the Boston Red Sox, still a team that is 10 games above 500 on the road, so they've certainly been doing the job there, so let's take a look at what we all learned from Major League Baseball on Saturday. The New York Yankees don't play as many overs at home as they do on the road. They've been playing over 65% of their games on the road over, more like 47% of their home games have went over. The St. Louis Cardinals continue to be the best home under team out there in the big leagues. Meanwhile, they are just on a massive tear right now as they have won 16 out of their last 20 games. Meanwhile, the Cincinnati Reds bullpen just continues to not be so good. Whenever the Chicago Cubs and Milwaukee Brewers hook up in Wrigley Field, count on some unders and you can count on overs between the Minnesota Twins and the Detroit Tigers. Matthew Boyd continues to be a guy that I fade and the Minnesota Twins continues to be a prolific offense, but Martin Perez not giving good innings right now. It appears as though regression has set in for Zach Fleasack and the Cleveland Indians as they continue to yo-yo high-scoring performances with low-scoring performances. Steven Matz continue to perform well for the New York Mets and the bullpen in general looking very good. Meanwhile, with the Houston Astros, Fran Valdez continues to be a guy that you really can't trust in. For the Dodgers, Clayton Kershaw has been nails for this team all year long. Winds up having a bad performance against the Arizona Diamondbacks, who, who really do seem to have the number of the L.A. Dodgers. You've got a Washington Nationals team that continues to put up touchdowns. Meanwhile, the Miami Marlins just have absolutely nothing going right now on offense. The Baltimore Orioles bullpen continues to be absolutely awful, and the Kansas City Royals have been playing a lot of lower-scoring games, but they were able to get something going on Saturday against that bullpen. Ronaldo Lopez is not giving good starts for the Chicago White Sox. Meanwhile, Dallas Keuchel seems to have gotten online for the Atlanta Braves. The Texas Rangers are continuing to play a ridiculous amount of unders, and they're continuing to be able to win games at home. The Pittsburgh Pirates are continuing to pound the tar out of the Colorado Rockies, and they seem to be out there funk. Meanwhile, the Rockies, this is just a team that is helpless in pretty much all facets of baseball right now. The San Francisco Giants are not getting the same offense at home as they are on the road, and their bullpen is really starting to leak. Meanwhile, for the Boston Red Sox, it appears as though after a very good month in August, their bullpen is starting to leak as well. So that is what we all learned from Major League Baseball on Saturday. Now let's turn the page forward and preview Sunday's matchups and let's just get the perspective of how we should be handicapping games this next month or so with teams possibly resting guys and the 40-man rosters and everything like that. The man that is going to help me do that, Scott Seidenberg of 9870 SPN, NBC Sports Radio and the Believe Podcast Network. He's going to be joining me next right here on MLB Overtime Betting. Greg is going to the bullpen as he makes a call to the Azunia Hotline. And we're back here on MLB Overtime Betting. Greg Peters, the coming at you from the Azunia Tequila Studios out here in lovely Las Vegas. Great to have on our next guest. He is a man that has joined this podcast quite a few times, and it is because his knowledge is impeccable. You can follow him on Twitter at Scott's on Air. He does work for 98.7 ESPN out in the lovely city of New York. You can also catch him on NBC Sports Radio, and he does a lot of podcasts for the Believe Podcast Network. This man is also very sharp on college football as well as being great on baseball, so this is a man that does a little bit of everything. And Scott, how are you doing today? 
Feeling good, Greg. You know, it's it's like a new year with the college football season starting, but with baseball season really hitting the dog days of summer, the grind continues every day. You know that. Oh, absolutely. It's one of these things where if you're handicapping baseball, you've got to be in it every day. This is not one of these situations where you could dip out in the month of September and then decide, oh, I'm just going to rejoin for the playoffs and everything like that. This is one where you've got to keep your head in the game. You don't have to necessarily be firing off like 50 bets or anything like that every single day. But at the same time, you want to be keeping up with all these teams and everything like that because you never know when you catch something and it proves to be very, very huge in the playoffs. And it's such an interesting time of the baseball season, too, right? Because you do have teams that are in playoff pushes, whether it's a wild card race or a divisional race like uh, in the National League Central or whatnot. But also, and what we should stress for the audience here is that starting September 1st, the rosters are expanding to 40 players for the final time, by the way, it's not going to happen again next year. They, the major league baseball has voted on that. This is the last time you're going to have expanded rosters in September. That is changing the way that you have to handicap these games. In my opinion. Oh, I do agree with you. And I do think that the motivation factor is a little bit overrated, too, because we see so many teams play spoiler. I still remember the Mets in 2007. They had everything in the world to play for. They wind up losing some games that allowed the Brewers to slip into the wild card and everything like that. And I don't think that you can take motivation alone and make these plays. You have to be looking at it on a game-by-game basis. Absolutely. You're 100% right. But, you know, to me, I think you look at the way that managers are going to handle these games, and that has to factor into the way that you're handicapping it as well. Are they going to save guys for the playoffs? Are they going to keep guys on innings limits? That changes a lot of things here as you're winding down to the final 28 games or so of the Major League Baseball regular season. Oh, I totally agree with you, and I think it's going to be really interesting to see what teams are going to be wrestling, guys, because we've got teams like the Houston Astros and the LA Dodgers that are head and shoulders above their teams in the division, and then in the same breath, you've got so many teams like the Milwaukee Brewers, the St. Louis Cardinals, all these teams. They're all fighting for spots, and you can't think that they're going to be wrestling anyone anytime soon. No, no, not at all, especially when you look at the races for the home field advantage, like the Yankees are battling the Astros right now. So it shouldn't really be about resting, guys. It should be about trying to get home field because it means that much come postseason time. And yeah, you mentioned the other teams. They're not worried about it. They're trying to go out there and just win ball games, maybe play a spoiler role. It's an interesting slate on Sunday, Greg. You got some interesting pitching matchups. To me, though, I'm also looking at the way that managers, as I mentioned, are going to deploy some of these players with the expanded rosters, specifically relief pitchers. We've got Scott Seidenberg joining me right here on the podcast. And the most interesting one to me is the one that's going down in your city, the New York Yankees and the Oakland A's. Sean Manea comes back for his first start of the year. Looked pretty good in five relief start. Looked pretty good in five rehab starts at the AAA level for Las Vegas. We all remember the no-hitter that he threw last year. What are you expecting in this one? Because I am very curious and the A's are going up against a lefty and Jay Happ, but let's face it, the A's dominate bad left-handed pitching. This is typically a spot where I fade a guy making his first start, but I think I'm going to have to look at the A's here. Yeah, Jay Happ just hasn't been good lately. There's no other way around it. You know, three runs in five innings his last time out against the putrid Seattle Mariners. And the last time that they faced Jay Happ just last week, they tagged them for five runs in four innings. So I don't think you could feel comfortable at all betting on the Yankees. This might be a situation where I look at the total in this game because I know, I just know that Jay Happ is going to give up runs. And then how could you trust Manaya? to go in there and shut the Yankees down for an extended period of time. You mentioned it's his first start coming back 
from injury. You know what that's, you know what that means to me, Greg? That means he's not going to go more than five innings. I think that the A's are going to manage him. And then when that bullpen comes into the game, anything can happen. The total is high. It's 11, but I actually think it does go over. Yeah, it should be very interesting because, like I said, the Oakland A's do very good against left-hand pitching as well. So, obviously, that's going to play a big factor. And it seems like everyone does well when they play against Tyler Beatty. He's given up four or more earned runs in four out of his last five starts. And all five of those starts, he's given up at least three. He's going up against the San Diego Padres and is, to my surprise, a favorite against Eric Lauer. Now, Eric Lauer hasn't necessarily had the best of seasons, but I remember there was a stretch in, like the middle of May, early June, in which he was pretty good. I think the wrong team is favored here. I just cannot get behind Tyler Beattie. I don't feel comfortable betting on him, but I also don't feel comfortable betting on Eric Lauer. This sure. might be another situation where I might cop out and just take the total here because both of these guys are going to give up runs. The problem is, is that in thinking about that, I also don't know how deep each guy is going to go into the game. So I want to say, hey, Lauer's good to give up three, four runs. Well, you know what? If he only pitches four innings, maybe he's only going to give up one or two runs, and they're not going to leave him in there with a chance for him to give up three, four, five runs in a six or seven inning outing. Same thing with Tyler Beatty. Like, how long is this guy staying in the game? I think at most he's thrown, what, five innings, five and two-thirds innings over the past, you know, seven or so starts. So I don't know how deep he's going to go into the game, but this guy gets rocked every time he's out there. I can't get away from runs being scored in this game because both guys have the ability to give up three, four runs in a four, five-inning outing. I totally agree with you, as we do have Scott Seidenberg trying to be right here on the podcast. And I do think that we've got a very good matchup that's going down in Chicago as well as it's Cubs versus the Brewers. And you, Darvish, has been absolutely magnificent for the Chicago Cubs. Wow, I can't believe I just said that. And the Cubs are right now a minus 150 favorite against Milwaukee Brewers. Last we saw Gio Gonzalez, things were not going well for him at home against the St. Louis Cardinals. I think we've got to just keep rolling with the Chicago Cubs, a team that's won two out of pretty much three games all year long at Wrigley Field. This is a team that's just so dominant at home. And think about this. You mentioned as good as Darvish has been. It's been in the big moments, in the big matchups where they needed him the most that he's come through against the Mets in a key game for the wild card standings. He goes eight innings and only allows one run against the Phillies. Another key game in the wild card standings. He goes seven innings with no runs allowed against Milwaukee. The last time he gave up one run in only five innings. When the moment is big, you Darvish comes through for the Chicago Cubs. Now they are not just in a race for the wild card. They are in the division race as well. They're right there behind the St. Louis Cardinals. I expect another solid outing from Darvish because in big spots, this guy comes through. He certainly has been coming through. And something else that you can bet on is the fact that we're going to see some tired arms out there in the city of St. Louis as for the second straight day, the St. Louis Cardinals and the Cincinnati Reds are going to be playing a doubleheader. Both teams did not necessarily get the pitching matchups that they desired in the game one as the Cardinals won that game 10 to 6. I don't know about you, but I think this is going to be over central for me. Yeah, but are you worried at all about tired batters? Because here's the philosophy on this one. Expanded rosters as of September 1st, meaning more relief pitchers. So tired arms in the bullpen, maybe not, but subpar arms in the bullpen, maybe yes. And when guys come up and they're just triple-A or double-A pitchers at best and they go up against major league hitting, they tend to give up a lot of runs. So it's one of those interesting situations here where, yes, they could be fresh arms out of the bullpen, 
but they're not major league caliber pitchers coming here with the roster expansion as of September 1st. So that's something I definitely want to keep an eye on. Who do they call up? Who do they bring into the 40-man roster here? And who's going to be available to pitch for both of these teams? Oh, I think that's a tremendous point because on August 31st yesterday, well, the bullpen's got a little bit thin to say the least. And now I think that it is a situation you have to look at as well. I remember Gabe Kapler he called up like 57 guys. It looked like he had like a cavalry going out there last year. This year, not so many. And I do think that that's going to play a little bit of a factor as well. Hey, pinch runner time, right? We very rarely yeah. see pinch runners in baseball, but we're going to see it now come September for the final time, though. As I stress again, starting next year, they're not going to do this again, which kind of makes sense, Greg. For, from a philosophical standpoint, the most important games of your baseball season, you're going to play under different rules than what you do during the entire regular season. For some reason, I don't know why that ever made sense. And is it just me, or would you rather have the expanded rosters in, like, the really, really late August? Yes. April, March. (laughs) You want them earlier in the year, yeah, because that way you can figure out your roster and everything like that. The pitchers typically in spring training nowadays are just not going as long as they used to and everything like that. They're rusty. It's just one of these situations where it makes no sense that it's September when you're supposed to be dialed in and firing in all cylinders that you get all the call-ups. But could you get guys that play their way into a postseason roster? And that's the big spot here. Like, let's say the Yankees use Davey Garcia, which is one of their top pitching prospects, and they utilize him out of the bullpen here in September. All of a sudden, this kid is lights out in the month of September. And guess what? He might find himself in a playoff roster. So that's something to keep an eye on as well. I do agree with you. I think that it's a very interesting dynamic, and it's going to be really interesting to see how some of these lines play out as well. It's Justin Verlander, once again, a massive favorite. He's going to be going up against the Toronto Blue Jays. It's not as bad as it was, but at the same time, it's still a whole lot of juice to be laying on the Houston Astros as they're, once again, a $3 favorite. going to be Wilmer Fock going for the Toronto Blue Jays. He's going to be obviously serving as an opener, and Actually, when you take a look at it, Wilmer Font as an opener slash starter has been pretty darn good for the Toronto Blue Jays. This is one where I might be taking a shot on the Blue Jays just because whenever he has been opening, it seems like the Toronto Blue Jays have had some success. Yeah, sometimes it's not about the opener. It's about the bulk guy. And so I want to know who the Blue Jays are going to follow up Font with and who's going to pitch the bulk of those innings there in the middle. But for the price, I don't see why not. You know, you're taking a home team, so you know that you you at least have the hammer in that matchup. And you know Verlander's been beat as great as he's been, where he throws two pitches shy of a perfect game, and those two pitches just wind up being solo home runs, and you lose a game 2-1 to the Tigers. You know he has the ability to be beat, especially on the road. Lost at Baltimore, lost at Oakland. I think that this is a spot where it's probably not going to happen, but that's how you make money, is by betting a team at plus 258, 260. I'm in favor of it. I don't hate it at all. Oh, I agree with you, and though that might not be the sexy game, let's go to the very sexy game on Sunday. The Kansas City Royals are playing host to the Baltimore Orioles. Aaron Brooks on the mound for the Baltimore Orioles. Danny Duffy for the Kansas City Royals and the Royals. Right now, minus 120 favorite. Last we saw Aaron Brooks, he actually was not throwing interceptions, but rather six scoreless innings in his last start. What do you make out of this one? Because Baltimore Orioles actually seem to be showing a little bit of life. Meanwhile, this is a Royals team that... 
I would almost argue as funded on the year. They're just not giving you an honest effort. Uh, the Duffman delivers. And when the Duffman delivers, runs are scored galore. Uh, this is a game. Uh, I think that this is going easily into the double digit run scored. Duffy gets rocked. I think Brooks, you mentioned he has been decent uh, his last outing or so. But I think this is a high scoring affair in Kansas City. Both of these pitchers are going to get rocked. Oh, I am right there with you. I've been taking the over in this whole series, and there's going to be no reason to relent now as we've got Scott Seidenberg joining me right here on the podcast. And a guy that's been getting rocked recently is Charlie Morton. He's a minus 180 or so favorite against Adam Plutko of the Cleveland Indians. And Adam Plutko, though he's given up more than two home runs per nine innings, he didn't necessarily have the best start to the year. He's actually been decent lately. I think that there might be some value here with the Cleveland Indians. Obviously, revamp lineup. They've got the number one bullpen ERA out there in the big leagues. And Charlie Morton just doesn't look like the same guy that he was at the beginning of the I year. I call this the Scott Seidenberg Fantasy Bowl because both of these pitchers are on my fantasy baseball team. Hey. So I'm hoping for a no run scored between either team. I'll tell you that much. Give me, just give me two quality starts and I'll be very happy. But no, you hit the nail on the head with Pluko, who has been really really solid. We're talking about one run in five and two-thirds innings, two runs in six innings, three runs in six innings. Quality start machine up and down for this Indians team. Very surprising. A guy who's got a great mustache, but you wouldn't expect uh, to be at the top of their rotation, you know, but he has been pitching really, really well for them. And for Charlie Morton, he's the ace of that staff. You expect him to go out there and dominate, but lately it hasn't been the Charlie Morton that you've come to expect he hasn't had the high strikeout numbers in two consecutive starts. You know, you're, you're used to seeing Charlie Morton 9, 10, 11 strikeouts per game, but only four and three in his last two outings. If they want to win this game, it's going to be on Charlie Morton to, to, to strike out some batters and go deep into the ball game. This is one where I, I think I stay away just because it has impact on my fantasy team. But if I had to go one way or another, I'd go the Indians just because of the plus money value. I think that that's a very good way to go about it as Scott Seidenberg is joining me right here on the podcast. And I think another game that we could see a lot of runs in is Seattle versus Texas. Mike Miner just has not looked the same ever since the All-Star break. And then you say Kikuchi. You want to talk about an over machine this year. Oh, my gosh. I think over 80% of his starts have won over. I'm seeing a total of 10. Talk me into the under because I think that this is a game of which we're going to see runs. Of play. Uh, why would I talk you into the under? Because Kikuchi gives up five <laughs> runs every time he starts and he's not even going to last long into the game. So this is going to be a situation where Seattle is going to definitely dip into their bullpen early. That is a hitter's ballpark. You know, the ball flies out there. This is a, a line in the double digits for a reason. It's at 10 that I see now. Don't be surprised if it goes up to 10 and a half tomorrow, maybe even with some juice because there's going to be money coming in on the over in this one. I'm not even going to sit here and try to even contemplate betting it under. I don't blame you there, but here's a game that I could see going under. The Chicago White Sox and the Atlanta Braves. Julio Tehran has actually been very good for the Atlanta Braves. He, throughout his career, has been solid. Yes. I know, meanwhile, Lucas Giolito, he has been just absolutely excellent. He had a couple rough starts against the Chicago Cubs earlier this year. One bad start against Minnesota Twins past that. He's been pretty good. Total of nine. This is one where I could see myself taking the White Sox right around plus 135. Tehran hasn't allowed a run in his last 13 innings. That's how good he's been. I like the Braves in this one. I like the under in this one as well with you. And the price is hovering right around that trigger mark for me. I think it's anything sub 150. I like the Braves in this matchup. If it gets higher, I might see the closing line value on the White Sox. But right now, I think anything under 150 is a brave bet for me. 
This is one of these situations where you've got two very good pitchers out there. And I do think that the bets are going to be coming in on the Braves. So if you like them, you fire on it early. If you like the White Sox, you probably wait a little bit. And Scott, is there anything else that's really standing out to you on Sunday's card? I like Zach Eflin going up against Marcus Stroman, the Mets against the Phillies. This is a series that is so important in the National League wildcard standings. The Mets, uh, to me, a day late and a dollar short, getting swept by the Braves. And then the Cubs really, really hurt. Their wild card chances with only 27 games left in the season starting on Sunday, they're going to have to go 20 and seven, in my opinion, if they want to win the wild card. I don't see it happening. Even if they win two games out of all of their next series, that's only what a 16 and 11 finish. I don't think that's going to happen for this team. I like Eflin. It's a very, very small line, close to even money. I think the Phillies at home beat the Mets. So I'll take Eflin minus 107 as I see it right now. Oh, yeah, it's going to be a big ask for the Mets to be able to get into the wild card. But what is not a big ask is being able to enjoy the dulcet tones of Scott Seidenberg. I'd like to close it up with this. I know that you're doing great work with 98.7 ESPN out there in the lovely city of New York, as well as the Believe Podcast Network at NBC Sports Radio. Let the good people know where they can find a little bit more of your work and just tune into you a bit more. I'll be hosting all this week, uh, 1 o'clock to 3 o'clock Eastern time on ESPN New York, 98.7. You can listen on your ESPN app. Just search for uh, ESPN New York. And follow me on Twitter at Scott's on Air, S-C-O-T-T-S-O-N-A-I. I I post links to my podcast. Handicapper Brandon Lang and I host the gambling podcast called The Sharp Edge. And I do college football and NFL podcasts as well because we are ramped up here for football season. And we're just so excited for it, Greg. Oh, absolutely. And then the NFL season gets started on Thursday. Packers, Bears, I can't wait either. So a big thanks to Scott Seidenberg for joining me right here on MLB Overtime Betting. Now coming up next, it is that time that I give you a side and total on every game on today's Las Vegas betting board. And we do so in something I call Punch Em All. Welcome back to MLB Overtime. Greg is throwing a gem, so yeah, he better not blow it. And we're back here in the Zuni Hill Studios for MLB Overtime Betting. Big thanks to our man Scott Seidenberg of ESPN 98.7 and the NBC Sports Network, Believe Podcast, you name it. He does it for Jeremy in the last segment. And now it is that time that I give you a side in total on every game on today's Las Vegas betting board. And we do so in a little something I like to call Touch Em All. If a game is listed on the betting board, Greg has a side and a total on it, so it is time to touch them all. Note that some of these plays are all locked in, good to go, bet on everything like that. With some of these plays, we're in Wayne C mode, waiting on some line moves, lineup changes, everything like that. For any changes that are made to these plays, it's going to be listed up on my Twitter feed at Junior41. Like I said, some plays all locked in, some of these plays in Wayne C mode. I'll be letting you guys know as we go along what is all what. And we are going to be going, as always, in Las Vegas rotation order. Starting with 951-952, the Miami Marlins at the road to face off against Washington Nationals. It is going to be Patrick Corbin going for the Nets. Meanwhile, you've got Caleb Smith going for the Miami Marlins. Your total on this game is 8.5 with the under anywhere between minus 115 and minus 120. The over is anywhere between even and minus 105, seeing an 8 pop up as well. That over is minus 125, under as juice of plus 105. If you like the fish, well, you're certainly going to be getting a plus price into your diet. Anywhere between plus 220 and plus 225. If you want to lay it with the Nationals, that's anywhere between minus 250 and minus 270. Ever since the All-Star break, Caleb Smith has had an ERA above a 6. Things have just not really went well for him. Meanwhile, Patrick Corbin, in his last nine home starts, has an ERA hovering around one. I do recognize that 
He wound up losing his last start against the Baltimore Orioles at home, but all in all, he has been absolutely sensational. I'm with the Washington Nationals. This is a team that has put up six or more runs in all but two of their games, really, in their last 15. They have been absolutely sensational. You're getting a whole lot of contact. Though Adam Eaton has been missing in action the last couple days, he still got Trey Turner hitting right around at 295. Then Anthony Rendon and Juan Soto both won deep yesterday. They've got 30 home runs. Both these men have an on-base percentage above a 400. And then you got quite a few guys that, well, they're hitting in between, I would say, a 230 and a 245. Is your for the years in that neighborhood, though? I will say, ever since he came over to the Washington Nationals, he's hitting more around a 300. But then you got Gerardo Parra, Matt Adams, Brian Dozier, all in that neighborhood. Victor Robles has cleared that. He's hitting more around a 250. And Kurt Suzuki, 265. Whenever you've got Jan Gomes out there, it's been leaving a little bit of something to be desired, but all in all, the Washington Nationals performing very well. And for the Miami Marlins, this has been a team that has had the second highest under percent in road games in the big leagues this year. They've been just not really generating a lot of offense. You've got Neil Walker, Sterling Castro, Harold Ramirez, John Birdie, and Garrett Cooper along with Jorge Alfaro. All in between a 260 and a 274 at the top of the lineup. So they've all been doing a decent job of getting on base. But then take a look at the rest of the guys. Guys like Curtis Granderson, Lewis Brinson, Austin Dean. Yadiel Rivera, the list goes on and on. They're all hitting below a 210. I will say, whenever you have Brian Alday out there, he's hitting a 310 himself, but you just need a little bit more out of the team. And with the Miami Marlins, one of the bottom six bullpens with regards to ERA out there in the big leagues, Washington Nationals, fall in that neighborhood as well, but you're certainly going to be getting a better start out of Patrick Corbin than you are out of Caleb Smith. Caleb Smith, a guy that has been doing a good job of being able to get swing and misses. He's got right around, I would say, 11 strikeouts per nine innings, but he's given up in the realm of 1.8 home runs per nine innings, and he's given up five plus earned runs in three out of his last four starts. So for that reason, I am all aboard the Washington Nationals on the run line in this spot. And I'm going to wind up taking this total under just because I do think that Caleb Smith is going to be able to find himself a little bit. And Patrick Corbin just been completely dominant at home against a very, very woeful offense. With regards to this run line, currently seeing that at minus 120 across the board. I'll certainly take it if that's all that's presented. And with regards to this under, this is one of which I'm trying to get a little bit of better juice on. So it won't seem out of both of those, but certainly willing to roll with both of those numbers. We move on to 953 and 954 on the bang rotation. The Cincinnati Reds are going to be hitting the road face-off against the St. Louis Cardinals for yet another doubleheader, as this is going to be essentially in conjunction with 981-982 on the bang rotation. We're going to give you the early game, 953-954 first. That is Tyler Molly on the mound for the Cincinnati Reds against Miles Mikolas of the St. Louis Cardinals. Total on this game is 8.5. Under is anywhere between even and minus 120. The over anywhere between even and minus 120 as well. So, yeah, you're picking the litter there. If you're looking at laying it with the Cardinals, that's minus 150 to minus 145. Meanwhile, plus price on the Reds, anywhere between plus 135 and plus 40. For 981-982, it is Luis Castillo going for the Reds. Daniel Ponce de Leon for the St. Louis Cardinals. This is going to be the game that is going to be on Sunday Night Baseball. 7.05 p.m. Eastern first pitch. Your total on this game is 8. The over is anywhere between minus 115 and minus 120. The under is anywhere between even and minus 105. And I've seen an 8.5 pop up as well. That under is just minus 120. The over is even. If you're looking at the Reds, going to be laying anywhere between minus 120 and minus 123. Meanwhile, your plus price here with the St. Louis Cardinals. Anywhere between plus 110 and plus 113. And this is one in which I'm going to have very different plays on each of these, so you want to pay attention with Miles Mikolas. He certainly has had some better home splits and road splits at all. Miles' pitching just 
above a three with regards to the ERA on the road. It certainly has been a little bit more woeful. Meanwhile, Tyler Molly, this is a guy that I was talking about yesterday because he was supposed to get a start in that doubleheader on Saturday before things got rained out. And right now he is one of just four starting pitchers that has lost you over $1,000 if you bet on him and every one of his starts so far this year with Molly. He's given up right around 1.6 home runs per nine innings with Miles Mikolas. It's more around 1.3 to 1.4, but he's done a better job recently of being able to control the long ball. And for Mikolas, he's given up less than two walks per nine innings. You do like what you're seeing there. And with Mikolas for the year, 432 ERA. Tyler Molly, 2 and 10, 493 ERA. I believe the Reds have won four out of his last 24 starts. Meanwhile, with Mikolas, it's been a little bit more successful. The Cardinals haven't necessarily been winning all of them, but with that said, you also have to have a lot more faith in this Cardinals bullpen than that of the Cincinnati Reds. As we were talking about with Scott Seidenberg, these guys are going to be very tired. And with the St. Louis Cardinals, you do have quite a bit of consistency in the lineup as Got a lot of guys earning between a 245 and a 265 in Yadier Molina, Dexter Feller, Paul Goldschmidt, Marcel Ozuna. Paul DeYoung is just below that at a 245, but he's been pretty close in that realm all year long. These guys have all been doing a solid job. And Yadier Molina now actually hitting a 275, so I will give him a lot of credit there. For Ozuna and DeYoung, they've got 24 home runs. Paul Goldschmidt, 29 of them. And then you also have to like the fact that Colton Wong, Tyler Edmond, Tyler O'Neill and Yadio Munoz are all in between a 273 and a 285, so they're certainly doing their work there. And for the Cincinnati Reds, Eugenio Suarez has had the most home runs in the big leagues ever since the All-Star break with 18. He's got over 35 of them for the year, so he's obviously been solid. Aristides Aquino and Philip Irvin in the outfield have been doing a solid job. They're both hitting above a 300, and in the case of Aquino, 14 home runs in the month of August. And then you got a couple guys that they're doing an okay job with their batting average. Josh Van Meter, Joey Votto, Eugenio Suarez, and Nick Senzel allowing between a 258 and a 268. You then got Kyle Farmer hitting right around a 245. Kirk Casale a 255. And Freddie Galvis has been a nice pickup himself between his time with the Reds and the Toronto Blue Jays. He's got 22 home runs, hitting just below a 270 for the campaign. So all in all, it's been pretty solid. But with the Reds, their bullpen is in the bottom 10 in the big leagues with regards to ERA ever since the All-Star break. They've really been relenting. So in game one of this doubleheader between Miles Mikolas and Tyler Molly, going to be looking at the St. Louis Cardinals in some form or capacity. I'm saying at a run line price of plus 130, would certainly look at it there and going to be looking at the total over. Meanwhile, in game two, you've got Daniel Ponce de Leon, 981-982 against Luis Castillo. And this is a spot where I do think that Luis Castillo is going to be able to have the more dominant start with Daniel Ponce de Leon. He was a guy that towards the end of his time when he was a regular starter in, I would say, the months of June and July for the St. Louis Cardinals that was really starting to give up runs. He didn't give the team a whole lot of length. And with these teams having to play 36 innings over the course of less than 38 hours, it's one of those things where you do need length as in two out of his last three starts in the month of July, gave up four runs or more, not making pass the fourth inning in any of those starts. Needless to say, that's not ideal. And for Luis Castillo, this is a guy that doesn't quite pitch as well on the road as he does at home, but all in all, a 13-5 and record, 3.21 ERA. He's had a couple rough starts recently, giving up three earned runs or more in three out of his last four, but 
He has had a lot of gems as well. This is a guy that on the road, though his numbers aren't quite as great, recently he's been a little bit better. So I do think that there is something to be had there in this one. Game number 981-982, Luis Castillo against Daniel Ponce de Leon. This is going to be a little bit of a different story. As I'm going to be looking at the Cincinnati Reds in this spot, and I'm going to be once again taking a look at this total over because I do think that both these bullpens are going to be very, very taxed by then. With regards to the over, I'm in wait and see mode to try to get more favorable juice, and I'm going to be looking at the Reds that have already locked them in in this spot on 981-982. So to recap, I've already locked in the Reds and I'm waiting on the over in 981-982. For 953-954, I'm looking at the Cardinals on the run line and the over in Wayne Seamode on both of those. Hopefully it kept things all nice and square for you guys. 955-956 on the bank rotation. The Chicago Cubs are going to be playing also the Milwaukee Brewers. Gio Gonzalez goes for the Brewers. You Darvish goes for the Chicago Cubs. This totals off the board since this is a regularly field game, but if you like the Cubs, lane anywhere between minus 155 and minus 160, or plus price with the Brewers anywhere between plus 145 and plus 150. I know that the Brewers were able to get a nice win yesterday in shutout fashion, but you just don't know what you're going to get from this team game to game, and now all of a sudden you don't know what you're going to get from Gio Gonzalez game to game. Meanwhile, you Darvish, he has actually been absolutely sensational for the Chicago Cubs. Ever since the All-Star break, he's got an ERA south of two. The 5-6 and six record is not necessarily redeeming. He certainly has given out a couple too many walks so far this year, but he's doing a much better job of that. He's out giving up more like 3.3 walks per nine innings. He's had a couple rough starts in the month of August, giving up four runs or more in two of his starts, but really, you take a look ever since the All-Star break. He's had three starts in which he's given up four plus. In all the other ones, he has given up two earned runs or fewer, and there's only been one start in which he's given up two runs. So he's really been an all-or-nothing pitcher. With Gio Gonzalez, this is a guy that does a good job of being able to keep things out in front of him. He's given up right around 1.15 home runs per nine innings. Walks are a little bit of an issue, though. He's giving up just under four walks per nine innings. Take a look at his last start against the St. Louis Cardinals. Was absolutely atrocious. He gives up seven runs in five innings. And then in two starts previous, he gave up five runs in three and two-thirds against the Minnesota Twins. In the other starts in the month of August, he gave up one. So he's been a little bit inconsistent. You do want to note that in the last 12 games at Wrigley Field between these two, just one of those totals have went over. But I will say for the Chicago Cubs, you certainly do have a very formidable lineup. And their top home run hitter right now is Kyle Schwarber. He's got 31 home runs on the year. Batting average is not really there. He's hitting right around a 230-ish with regards to his average. But you then have the middle of the lineup that's all doing a very good job with regards to their averages. You've got Avi Baez, Anthony Rizzo, Chris Bryant, and Nick Cassianos all hitting between a 282 and a 292. In the case of Cassianos, he's got 21 home runs for the year. If he would have played all of his games at Wrigley Field, it certainly would be a little bit more. Chris Bryant has won deep 26 times. Javi Baez has 30 home runs. And then Anthony Rizzo, 25 dangers. Jason Hayward seeing a dip at his average at the leadoff spot. He's hitting a 255. And then you got a couple guys that you need to pick it up with their bat in Edison Russell and Ian Happ hitting between a 230 and a 240. But Victor Garantini is all of a sudden found it 275 batting average for him. So I do like what I'm seeing there. And for the Milwaukee Brewers, this is a team that's not generating a lot of offense with Mike Busakis out of the fold. He has been a little bit of a loss for this team, but you do have quite a few guys hitting between a 245 and a 260. Eric Thames, Ben Gamble, Hernan Perez, Corey Spangenberg is just above that, but we're going to lump him in here. Lorenzo Kane and Yasmani Grandal are all in that neighborhood. In the case of Grandal, he's not been providing a lot of home runs like he was at the beginning part of the year, but he's been solid. You have a couple guys that need to pick it up with the bat as well. Manny Pina, Trent Grisham, Orlando Arcia, and Travis Shaw are all guys that are in a 235 or lower, but I will say this, 
the team is getting a whole lot out of that man, Christian Yelich. He's got a 328 batting average. We all know what he's able to do. 41 home runs, 89 RBI, one of the top base fielders out there in the big league. So that is obviously a big help. But you also do want to know for the Milwaukee Brewers, Josh Hader wound up having to get five outs yesterday. He only pitched 12 pitches. So it's going to be very interesting to see what happens there. But he may or may not be available in a close game. And for that reason, I do think that the Cubs are going to be able to dominate Gio Gonzalez. I do not like what I've seen out of him recently. You Darvish has been sensational. So for that reason, looking at the Cubs on the run line, that run line is currently not up. So that is is in Wayne C mode. Meanwhile, with this total, probably going to be looking at an under just because of the way that this series has been going, but obviously, I won't know until the line is up on the board, so check back in the morning at GNRS41 for set plays there. 957-958 on the bank rotation. The Pittsburgh Pirates set the road to face off against the Colorado Rockies. Jeff Hoffman goes for the Rockies. Stephen Brault for the Pittsburgh Pirates. Your total on this game is 14. Over and under, both at minus 110. If you're looking at the Pirates, going to be laying anywhere between minus 107 and minus 110. Meanwhile, if you like the Colorado Rockies, that is anywhere between between even money and minus 103. And this is a spot where I'm certainly going to be taking a look at the Pittsburgh Pirates. In Stephen Bolt's last 13 starts, he's given up more than three earned runs in just one of them. He's actually been doing a very good job of being able to keep games out in front of him. The issue is, it's not necessarily going to give you a lot of length. This is a guy that very, very seldom goes more than six innings in a start, but he has been doing a solid job. Meanwhile, with Jeff Hoffman, this is a guy that it does not matter the setting. It does not matter the place. He has just been awful. He's given up more than two home runs per nine innings. ERA is north of an eight. It's just not went well for him. Every one of his starts, it seems like he's given up three plus arms runs. And it causes a Colorado Rockies bullpen, which is dead last in the big leagues with regards to ERA ever since the All-Star break, to really dig itself out of a hole. That's not ideal. And for the Pittsburgh Pirates, this is a team that was so ice cold after the All-Star break, but... They've now won six out of their last nine games, and you've got some guys that are above 300 for this bunch. Kevin Newman and Brian Reynolds both hitting above a 315. Then you've got a lot of guys in the middle of the lineup that they've got their batting average right now hovering between a 285 and a 295 in Cal Moran, Jose Ozuna, and Sterling Marte. You then have Josh Bell and Melky Cabrera both hitting right around 280. In the case of Josh Bell, he has won team 34 times, 108 RBI, Sterling Marte been doing a great job in his own right as well. He's got over 20 home runs and 20 stolen bases. Jacob Sellings, whenever he's out there at the catcher spot, sitting nearly at 270, and Adam Frazier hitting nearly at 275 as well. Then for the Colorado Rockies, you do have that top of the lineup that is so good. Trevor Story, Charlie Blackman, and Nolan Arenado, only above a 300. All these guys have 27-plus home runs as well, and in the case of Nolan Arenado, he's got 33 home runs, over 100 RBI. Getting something out of Daniel Murphy and Tony Walters as well. Both these guys hitting right around a 280. Ryan McMahon and Ian Desmond both hitting between a 252 and a 262 as well. And I will say, Sam Hilliard, the recent call for this team sitting above a 300. But then you need a little bit more of something out of Garrett Hampson and Dom Nunes. Both these guys are hitting below a 220. And with the Colorado Rockies, I just don't think the pitching is going to be there. And I think that Stephen Brault, once again, is going to be able to do a decent job. So for that reason, we are going to be looking at the Pittsburgh Pirates here. And we are going to be taking this total under. And as I speak, this game is now essentially a pick them in one shop. So in Wayne C mode on the Pittsburgh Pirates. And this total has just been ticking up in every one of the games in the series. So in Wayne C mode on both of these. 959-960 on the betting rotation. The San Diego Padres hit the road to face off against the San Francisco Giants. It is going to be Eric Lauer going for the Padres. Meanwhile, Tyler Beatty goes for the San Francisco Giants. Your total on this game is 10. Across the board, the under is just of minus 120. The over is even. If you're looking at the Padres, you're going to be getting anywhere between even money and minus 105. Meanwhile, if you want to late here with Giants. It's anywhere between minus 105 and minus 110. And 
I just can't do it here with Tyler Beattie. I was going through it with our man Scott Seidenberg a little bit earlier. He's given up four earned runs or more in four of his last five starts. And each of his last five, he's given up three plus. This is a guy that is lending himself to hard contact, soft contact, all sorts of contact as he's given up 1.95 home runs per nine innings, 5.56 ERA. He's given out just under 3.9 walks per nine innings. Eric Flowers has not necessarily been amazing either. 7-8 record. This is a guy that's giving up right around 3.5 walks per nine innings, but he does at the very least have a couple redeeming qualities to him. In the month of August, he has not given up more than three earned runs in any one of his starts. And for that matter, he's given up more than three earned runs in just two of his starts ever since June 15th. So it's not like this guy is getting completely exploded upon. It's a little bit inconsistent with his effort. He's not giving a ton of strikeouts, but with this being Oracle Park, it is one of these situations where he's going to be able to keep the game out in front of him. And with the Padres, they are certainly missing Fernando Tatis Jr. No ifs, ands, or buts about that. But you do have a couple guys in the middle of the lineup hitting between a 240 and a 260. Greg Garcia, Josh Naylor, Manuel Margot, all in that neighborhood. They've been doing a decent job. Got the famine bats with this team. Nick Martini, recent pickup from the Oakland A's, along with Luis Arias, Austin Hedges, Will Myers, Will France, and Ian Kinsler are all hitting a 225 or worse. But then you've got Eric Osmer. His batting average is hovering right around a 284. He's got nearly 90 RBI. He's went deep 18 times for the year. You also have to like the fact that Manny Machado has a 265 batting average. His home run count currently at a 28. And then you do have Hunter Renfrew, who's got 31 home runs, but he's really went ice cold. His batting average is right around a 230. He hasn't been supplying a lot of power ever since the team, ironically enough, traded away Femi Reyes. And then for the San Francisco Giants, you've got some improving batting averages for this team. Adam Dickerson was out of the lineup for quite a bit, along with Austin Slater. Both these guys are back, and both these guys have their batting averages above a 285. Austin Slater was able to get a home run yesterday as well. You've got Kevin Pillar and Evan Longoria being able to supply some power for this team. Pillar, 19 home runs with a 260 batting average. Longoria, 17 dingers. He's hitting nearly 270. This team has been without Mike Kuzermski recently, but he's got 17 home runs himself and a decent batting average. Need to get a little bit more out of Jeff Rickard, Brander Belt, and Brandon Crawford. All these guys are hitting a 235 or lower, but Jonathan Solano hitting a 335 at the top of the lineup as well. And for the San Francisco Giants, the Bulls has been a little bit leaky recently, but all in all, they do rank in the top five with regards to bullpen ERA for the year. I don't know how much stock I put into that. Meanwhile, with the Padres, their bullpen has been pretty average with regards to ERA for the year, but they do have the best closer in the bigs and Kirby Yates with regards to saves. And this is a bullpen that has probably the best fielding independent for its ERA as well. So you got to think that some positive regression is going to be coming in there. I do think that Lauer is going to give a better start to Tyler Beattie, and I think that both these teams are going to score some runs. So for that reason, going to ride this total over and going to take the plus price here with the Padres with this over looking to see if I'm able to get perhaps an eight and a half year so I'm waiting to see mode there. Meanwhile I've already locked in the San Diego Padres I am feeling very good about that play. 961-962 on the bank rotation the Arizona Diamondbacks play LCLA Dodgers Ross Stripling goes for the Dodgers Alex Young for the Arizona Diamondbacks the Dodgers were not settled on a starter until the evening so for that reason this game is presently off the board. With Ross Stripling this is really interesting as he's been a little bit banged up and even when he's been in the lineup full time this is a guy that has really split his time between the starting rotation and the bullpen. But I will say this, he's given up just four home runs in over 37 innings on the road. So he actually does a very good job of being able to limit the contact there. He also gets a whole lot more strikeouts on the road than he does at home. His ERA is slightly higher when he is on the road, but all in all, this is a guy that's done a very decent job, and you felt like in his last couple starts before he wound up going on the injured list, he was really starting to find it as he wound up giving up one run 
in six innings against the Boston Red Sox a few weeks ago. He then wound up giving up two earned runs in his last two starts in the month of July before he has not pitched ever since then. Meanwhile, you take a look at Alex Young. This is a guy that is seeing a little bit of regression come in despite the fact that he is 6-3, 381 ERA. He is a lefty, and the LA Dodgers actually do a very good job against left-handed pitching, so that right there is a red flag. This is a gentleman in Young that is giving up, I would say, right around 1.3-ish home runs per nine innings. You take a look at his last couple starts. They haven't necessarily been what they were at the beginning of the year. His last start against the Giants was good. He wound up going five to third innings, giving up one run, but the three starts previous, he gave up at least three earned runs in every one of them, going past the fifth inning in just one of those starts as well, and he's backed up by a bullpen that, let's face it, not very good. The Dodgers certainly do have some bullpen wolves as well, but I think that those are a little bit overblown. Kenley Jansen is not what he once was, but you do have guys like Casey Sadler that I actually do trust him, despite the fact that he gave up a couple runs a couple days ago, and then Pedro Baez has been very good for this team as well, and for the Dodgers, you've got a lot of guys that are providing a lot of good power as well. How about Will Smith? getting jiggy with it. Nearly a 300 batting average. He's getting a home run every nine at bats. Got a lot of guys hitting between a 260 and a 270 in A.J. Pollock, Corey Seager, and Chris Taylor. You do want to note that Cody Ballinger wound up getting the day off yesterday. He should be a go in this one though. Guy's hitting just above a 342 home runs. He's been slumping a little bit, but all in all, he's been doing a terrific job this year. Christopher Nagarin in the outfield. He's been able to deliver some decent at bats. He's hitting right around a 250, but Matt Beattie along Justin Turner are both hitting between a 290 and a 300, and Justin Turner really fine finding his power. 26 home runs. This guy's been on a tear ever since the All-Star break, so like what you're seeing there. For the Arizona Diamondbacks, this is a team that's in the bottom 10 in the big leagues with regards to home runs per game at home. Meanwhile, on the road, they're more around 7th or 8th, and they've got a lot of guys with just consistent batting averages. All these guys are in between a 255 and a 270. You got Tim LaCastro, Nick Ahmad, Eduardo Escobar, Christian Walker, Adam Jones, Carson Kelly, all in that neighborhood. Just missing that is Rod Dyson. He's hitting more around a 250. One of the top base zeros out there in the big leagues with Christian Walker. This is a guy that has wound up going deep 23 times so far this year with Eduardo Rescobar. He's got over 30 home runs and 100 plus RBI. Cattell Marte has been out of the fold the last couple days, but he's hitting above a 310. His home run count currently hovering at a 28, and Wilmer Flores is hitting a 325. That's been a magnificent you do need to be getting a little bit more out of guys like Alex Avila and Jake Lamb, but both these guys, despite the fact that they hit below a 220, have an on-base percentage that is right around 130 points higher than their actual batting averages, so that has been very encouraging, and I do think that this is a spot in which the Dodgers are going to be able to get a pretty comparable start to that of Alex Young. Question is, what are you going to have all out there in the bullpen? I do lean to the Dodgers here just because they do a good job of being able to hit lefties. going to be very interesting to see where this total shakes out, because if you're seeing a total on this game north of 9 I'm probably going to be looking at an under. If you're seeing it right at nine, my lean is towards the under, and I am leaning towards the Dodgers as long as you're not laying a lot of juice. So as always, check back in the morning on my Twitter feed at GNRSCore 41, but those are my early thoughts on that game. We move on to 963-964. It is going to be the New York Mets, and they are on the road facing off against the Philadelphia Phillies, a.k.a. the Philadelphia Sillies, as it's Marcus Stroman going on the mound for the Mets. Meanwhile, Zach Eflin goes for the Philadelphia Phillies. Your total on this game is 9.5. The under is juice of minus 120, the overs even. If you're looking at the Phillies, you are going to be getting a little bit of a plus price here. That is anywhere between plus 103 and plus 105 with the Mets. You're laying anywhere between minus 113 and minus 115. 
And this is a spot where I just cannot have any faith in Zach Eflin whatsoever. In all of his starts ever since the beginning of the month of July, he's given up three-plus earned runs in all but one of them. This is a guy that I know did have a good recent start in his last time out, but he's 8-11, 450 ERA. He's given up right around 1.6, 1.7 home runs per nine innings. Just a guy that in recent form has not been very good after to begin the year. He was very good. Meanwhile, with Marcus Stroman, as a New York man, he really hasn't excelled too much. One and one record, 491 ERA in his starts with the New York Mets in the month of August. He really hasn't went past the fifth inning too much. He's given two starts in which he's given six innings, but past that, spent a whole lot of starts where he's went between four and five in the third innings. He has been doing a little bit of a better job recently, but he has given up three or more earned runs in three of his five starts in the month of August, so certainly has not been nails there. And he has given up five home runs in 25 and two-thirds innings as a New York Met, but what the New York Mets also do is supply a lot of power as well. You saw the Todd father on Friday wind up getting two home runs for this team. He's actually been struggling a little bit as he, Juan Lagares, Joe Panic. Oh, guys, that should be picking up their batting averages. They're all hitting a 245 or lower. But then you've got Michael Conforto and Pete Alonso. They certainly are not struggling with Pete Alonso. This is a guy that has went deep 42 times. His batting average hovering right around a 265. Michael Conforto, who's got 80 RBI. His home run count currently at a 27. His batting average more in the realm of a 265 than J.D. Davis. Hitting just below 300, but he's been doing a great job. A bit Rosario ever since the All-Star break. He's been hitting right around a 330, 288 for the year. So he's really emerge. And Wilson Ramos is hitting above a 300 ever since the All-Star break. His batting average is nearly a 300. He's heated up. Jeff McNeil was out of the lineup yesterday, but he's been hitting right around a 325 with an on-base percentage of a 390 for the year. And then with the Philadelphia Phillies, do have a couple guys who are doing a good job of getting on base, and that's led by Corey Dickerson, who's hitting a 309. He's hit a couple home runs ever since coming over for the Philadelphia Phillies. And speaking of home runs, you got Bryce Harper, 257 batting average, 373 on-base, 29 home runs. Reese Hoskins has a 382 on-base, but the 238 batting average certainly does leave a little bit of something to be desired. And then you got all these guys hitting between essentially a 274 and a 287. Gene Segura, JT Riamuto, Scott Kingery, Cesar Hernandez, all in that fold. Got a couple guys that do need to pick it up with their batting average though. Austin Knapp, Brad Miller, Sergio Rodriguez, and Mikel Franco. Oh, guys, earning a 230 or lower. I will say Logan Morrison is giving this team a couple decent at-bats, but a Philadelphia Phillies bullpen that prior to the series was above average with regards to ERA since the All-Star break has really failed them recently. It's hard to get behind them. Meanwhile, with the New York Mets, it looks like their bullpen turnaround is real. Entering into the All-Star break, they had the third worst bullpen ERA in the big leagues ever since the All-Star break. They rank in the top five with regards to bullpen ERA, and I do think that this is a spot in which they're going to be able to get a decent start out of Marcus Stroman. I certainly think that Zach Eflin is going to be giving up his runs, and I think that it's going to lead to a New York Mets win. I am in Wayne Seema to try to see if I'm able to get a little bit more favorable juice on the New York Mets, but I certainly do think that we're going to see some runs in this game as well. So taking this total over, trying to see if this total ticks down from 9.5 to 9, if at all possible. 9.65, 9.66 on the bank rotation. The New York Yankees play OC Oakland A's. Sean Manea goes for the A's. Meanwhile, J.A. Hepaparay goes to the New York Yankees. Your total on this game is ranging between 11 and 11. And a half. On the 11s, the over is anywhere between minus 115 and minus 120. The under is used anywhere between even and minus 105. On the 11 and a half, the under is used at minus 115. The over is minus 105. If you're looking at the A's, you're going to be getting anywhere between 
plus 126 and plus 132. If you want to lay it here with the Yankees, that is anywhere between minus 136 and minus 145. J-Hap is certainly not a guy that I want to stick my chips in the middle with. I typically am someone that fades a guy in their first start coming off the injured list, but Sean Manea has actually made seven rehab starts, so this is a guy that has certainly seen some time with the Las Vegas Aviators in his last three rehab starts. I think he had a combined four earned runs given up. He actually looked very good there. We all remember last year he was able to pitch that no-hitter. All in all for the year, he was doing a great job of being able to get swings and misses. Meanwhile, with J.F., he's not getting a lot of swings and misses with the New York Yankees. Seven and a half strikeouts per nine innings, giving up 2.1 home runs per nine, 5570 ERA. And this is a guy that has given up three or more earned runs in all but one of his starts ever since the beginning of the month of August. And his last two starts in the month of July, he gave up three plus as well. So he certainly has not been on top of his game with the New York Yankees. They do back him up with a very good bullpen, but you have to be able to get five innings in order to get to that just dynamic quadrant of Tommy Canley, Adam Montevino, Zach Britton, and Aroldis Chapman, and I don't know if he's going to be able to do it. The Oakland A's bullpen has been relenting a little bit as well, but we also know this about the Oakland A's. They are able to pound the tar out of lefties. Jay Happ is a lefty, and you've got a lot of guys on this Oakland A's lineup that are getting a lot of power. Matt Olson and Matt Chapman have combined 57 home runs between the two of them. They're both hitting between a 260 and a 270. Mark Hanna, Marcus Simeon, both hitting between the 274 and 275, and they've been supplying some power as well. With Mark Hanna, 23 home runs. Marcus Simeon has won deep 25 times. I will say, Stephen Brown, ever since getting called up to the big leagues, he's hitting a 440. Chad Pinder's only hitting a 240, and Drixon Profar, 215. But with Profar, he's been doing a good job of being able to splice some home runs recently. You've got Chris Herman and Jeff Feigley at the catcher spot doing an okay job in regards to Feigley with a 252 batting average. Herman's hitting below the Mendoza line, which is 200, which leaves something to be desired. But for the New York Yankees, they've been without Gio Rochelle the last couple games. That's really been telling, but you do still have DJ LeMay. He had that walk over home run yesterday. 25 home runs, 333 batting average. He's got 90 RBI. Soon a little bit of everything for this team. And then got a couple guys that are emerging as well. You've got Mike Talkman and Luke Voigt, both hitting a 277. Good to have Luke Voigt back in the lineup. He was missing for quite a bit. You also have Cameron Maben, Glaber Torres, and Aaron Judge in between a 281 and a 291. In the case of Glaber Torres, he has certainly been supplying the home runs. He's got 33 of them on the year. Gary Sanchez only a 235, but this is another guy that he's got 32 home runs on the year. You're even getting something out of Mike Ford now as well. Brett Gardner is hitting right around a 250. Whenever he's not banging his bat on the top of the dugout, he's been pretty solid, but this is a spot where I think that J.F. is certainly going to be hit around. And I think that Sean Manea is going to give a much better start than a lot of people expect coming off of his injury. So for that reason, we are going to be ro- looking at a reverse run line on the Oakland A's, which means I'm going to be laying a run and a half with the Oakland A's. Even though they are the underdog, I'm going to be getting a big plus price there. That's not going to be posted on the betting board until the morning. And looking at this total under, if I'm able to get it at 11 and a half on juice, I will be very happy. If not, I will certainly take a 11 at even money or even a plus 105. Just wait and see about both of those. 967, 968 on the bag rotation. The Toronto Blue Jays play OC Houston Astros. Just a floor line. It goes for the Strohs. Meanwhile, Wilmer Font is going to be the opener for the Toronto Blue Jays as his total is 9. The over and under both at minus 110. If you'd like the Astros, you're going to be laying anywhere between minus 290 and $3. Meanwhile, the plus price here on the Jays is anywhere between plus 240 and plus 260. And with the Toronto Blue Jays, they have been doing very well as Wilmer Font as the opener as the bulk guy, according to reports, is either going to be Sam Gavilio or Zach Ungodly Bad. With this, you got to assume that it's probably going to be both guys. Sam Gavilio has been decent. He's got ZRA hovering right around three. He's given up a couple home runs. Meanwhile, Zach Ungodly Bad has been 
well, Zach Ungodly Bad with an ERA north of six. So I will say, ever since going north of the border, he has been a little bit better. And Wilmer Fine, you got to think, is going to give you two plus good innings. He's been getting right around 12 strikeouts per nine innings, which has been very impressive. Not quite Justin Verlander esque, but he has been doing a very good job. And for Justin Verlander, his history as a $3 favorite, not great. He's lost each of the last two times he was a $3 favorite, heck, even last year when he was a big favorite in so many of those games. He was not doing well. I will say this for him, though. He's given up more than two earned runs in one start, really, ever since the All-Star break. So it's been solid there. In the month of June, he was giving up a lot of three- and four-run performances. And this could be a spot in which he does give up three or four runs because the Toronto Blue Jays, even though they've got one of the worst home batting averages out there in the big leagues, what they do have is a lot of power. If you take a look at the Toronto Blue Jays lineup yesterday, they had two guys in it that ended with a batting average above a 234. But Vlad Guerrero Jr. is hitting a 280. He's been doing a nice job of being able to supply some power recently. And Bo Bichette hitting a 338. He winds up being a guy that gives you right around a home run every 15 or 16 at-bats as well at the leadoff spot. So he does a little bit of everything. Now you need more out of all these guys because you've got so many guys like Randall Gritchick, Teoscar Hernandez, Justin Smoke. These guys have like between 20 and in the case of Randall Gritchick, more like 23, 24 home runs, but they're all hitting below a 235. You've got Danny Jansen, Derek Fisher, Rowdy Telez and company. They're all hitting below a 225 as well, but with Rowdy Telez, he's providing some power brand new jury as well. And these guys actually do draw quite a few walks. I will say that the command of Justin Verlander Certainly is good, so you don't want to be counting on that too much. And for the Toronto Blue Jays, at the very least, they are providing right-handed arms because the lefties have not been faring well against the Houston Astros. And for the Houston Astros, you do have so many guys that are just able to rake for this team. Michael Brantley wound up being a pinch hitter yesterday, but you got to figure that he's going to get the start today. He's got a 332 batting average. George Springer and Jose Altuve at the top of the lineup have been terrific. Altuve's hitting a little bit above a 300. He's got 25 home runs. George Springer, 29 diggers, sitting more like a 295 as Alex Bregg hitting more around 8-290 himself, 32 home runs for him. The list goes on and on of these guys. Is Jordan Alvarez getting a home run every 12 at-bats. He's hitting nearly a 320. You've even got something now out of the bat of Robinson Chirinos. He's been hitting right around a 240, very nearly for a strike goal a few weeks ago. So you've got a lot of versatility here with the Houston Astros, but I do think that Wilmer Font is going to be able to open things up well for the Toronto Blue Jays. I think the Blue Jays are going to be able to take advantage of Justin Verlander's one kryptonite, and that is going yard. Justin Verlander giving up right around 1.5 home runs per nine innings, so I do think that there is value here on the massive underdog. I'm going to be riding with the Toronto Blue Jays in this spot, and I'm going to be taking this total under. I do think that this is going to be a little bit of a lower scoring game. I think that the Blue Jays wholesale approach is going to be able to keep things out in front of them and they're going to be able to keep the Astros bats a little bit confused. So for that reason, I'm going to be riding with both of those. And we in C mode for better numbers on both. I don't think that too many public betters are going to be backing the Toronto Blue Jays. And this total has actually went up a little bit. So that is why I'm currently waiting on both of those. 969-970 on the bang rotation. The Detroit Tigers play also the Minnesota Twins. Michael Pineda, better known as Michael Pineda earlier in the year before he started pitching better, going for the Twins. Spencer Turnbull for the Detroit Tigers. Total on this game, 9.5. Over Zenny Warp between minus 110 and minus 115. Under Zenny Warp between minus 110 and minus 105. If you're looking at the Twins, you're going to be laying anywhere between minus 205 and minus 210. Meanwhile, your plus price on the Tigres is anywhere between plus 182 and plus 190. Spencer Turnbull had been doing a very good job this year up until he got injured in late June. Ever since he got injured in late June, he's just not giving the team a whole lot of length. I will say he's giving up only right around one home run per nine innings. He's done a very good job of being able to keep the ball in the yard. Problem with him is as well, 
He's getting less than 2.9 runs of support whenever he takes the mound. Hard for any pitcher to be able to win that way. And with Spencer Turnbull, he's given up three-plus earned runs in each of his last three starts. So in recent form, it's not been going well for him. Meanwhile, Michael Pineda, before going on the injured list, was just a complete nightmare for the Minnesota Twins ever since then. He's been terrific. He's given up more than three earned runs in one start ever since June 23rd and more than three earned runs in two starts since the end of April. So he certainly has not been getting blown up in any of his starts. He's given up fewer than two walks per nine innings. That's been an issue of Turnbulls. He's given up more around 3.6 to 3.7 walks per nine innings. And with the Minnesota Twins, even though they lost yesterday, they wound up being able to show their might once again. This is the team with the most road home runs in a season in MLB history. And they've got so many guys that supply them. Nelson Cruz with 34. Max Kepler with 36. CJ Crone with 24. Mitch Carver has 26 of them. Jorge Polanco has 20. Jonathan Scope has a lot of them. Here, Adrianza doesn't have a bunch of home runs, but he's hitting at 280. Luis Reyes has an on-base percentage of a 400 to make up for the fact that he doesn't hit home runs. list goes on and on. This is just a very, very good lineup. Meanwhile, the Detroit Tigers, they're not hitting for a lot of power. You do have to like the fact that Roddy Rodriguez went deep twice yesterday. Sal got his batting average up to a 233. But you got a lot of these guys that are hitting a 230 or lower. Jordan Hicks, Gordon Beckham, Grayson Griner. Rodgers at the catcher spot has been just an absolute nightmare. The list goes on and on. But you are starting to get a little bit of something out of a few of these guys. Miguel Cabrera returned to the lineup. He, Victor Reyes, and Harold Castro all in between a 280 and a 290. Willie Castro, the shortstop of this team, is hitting a 270 as well. And Brandon Dixon, he's got 14 home runs on the year, hitting a 250. He's been in a little bit of a power out recently. I will say for the Detroit Tigers, their bullpen pitching has been a little bit better. I will also say in the last seven meetings between these two teams, Six of the totals have went over. The other one was a push, but I do think that this is going to be a rare under. I do think that Spencer Turnbull is getting a little bit healthier. I think he's going to be able to give his good stuff, but I do like the way that Michael Pineda is pitching. The bullpen of the Minnesota Twins in recent weeks has been picking it up as well, so for that reason, going run line of the Twins and the total under, currently seeing that run line on the Twins of a minus 135. Certainly Wayne C mode there, and I think that this total is going to be continuing to climb a little bit, so holding off on that as well. 971-972 on the batting rotation. The Tampa Bay Rays play also the Cleveland Indians. Adam Plutko goes for the Cleveland Indians. Charlie Morton for the Tampa Bay Rays. Your total on this game is 8. The over is anywhere between minus 110 and minus 115. The under is anywhere between minus 110 and minus 105. If you're looking at the Tampa Bay Rays, laying anywhere between minus $2 and minus 205. Meanwhile, your plus price on the Indians is anywhere between plus 180 and plus 181. Why the extra cent? I don't know, but I will certainly take it because I am all aboard Team Adam Plutko. We were talking about this with our man Scott Seidenberg. Really like what I've seen out of Adam Plutko. This is a guy that the numbers are going to be a little bit deceiving. He's giving up right around two home runs per nine innings, 434 ERA, but in the month of August, this guy's been very good. He's given up more than three earned runs in just one of his starts. And heck, you even date it back to July 15th. He's given up more than three earned runs in just one of those starts. So, does a great job of keeping the game out in front of him. He also gives up right around 1.6 blocks per nine innings. Meanwhile, Charlie Morton, he's lost six decisions ever since late June. Prior to that, he had not lost a decision in, I believe, 23 straight starts. And he has given up three earned runs or more in three out of his last four starts. And the one in which he gave up zero earned runs... We won seven innings against the Detroit Tigers. Ironically enough, he lost that one as well. So 
Go figure there. He does a great job of being able to get strikeouts. Charlie Morton, just under 12 and a half strikeouts per nine innings. But with the Cleveland Indians, they weren't able to show up with the bats earlier in the series. But late in their game against the Tampa Bay Rays, things really got flowing with the seam. As at the top of the lineup, you've got a pair of guys in Francisco Lindor and Carlos Santana hitting between a 294 and a 300. In the case of Lindor, he's got 26 home runs. Santana, 31 of them. Yasiel Puig and Femi Reyes also supply a little bit of boom as well for Femi Reyes. He's hitting more around a 242. 245, but he's got 33 home runs. Yasiel Puig has went deep 24 times. Jake Bowers is back in the fold. His batting average is not nearly there as he, Roberto Perez, Greg Allen, and Yu Chang are all hitting between a 220 and a 240, but just having him back in the lineup is big. Jason Kipnis seen his batting average dip to a 247, but he's still been doing a solid job in the second half of the year. Then you've got Oscar Mercado, Mike Freeman, and Taylor Naquin all hitting above a 270 for the team as well. They've been able to give some good at-bats, and whenever you need Jordan Luplo, I think he's currently injured. He's been doing a solid job, but for the Tampa Bay Rays, Got a lot of guys hitting between a 270 and a 275 with a little bit of power. As obviously, El Garcia, Tommy Pham, and Austin Meadows all fit the bill. For Austin Meadows, he's a team leader in home runs with 24 of them. Tommy Pham has been able to go deep 20 times so far this year. And obviously, El Garcia has 17 of them. G-Man Choi was able to get a home run yesterday. He's got his batting average up to a 265. And then you got a lot of guys that are hitting right in that realm of a 240 and a 255. You've got Travis Sayarno in that mix along with Kevin Kiermeyer and William Adamas. Matt Duffy needs to pick it up. He's out only hitting a 225. And Joey Wendell's hitting just above the Mendoza line. But Eric Sogard hitting above a 300 himself. This is a spot where I do think that Pluko has a lot of value on him. And I do think that both these guys are going to give up some runs. Pluko has been prone to the long ball. And the Tampa Bay Rays seem to be firing all cylinders on offense. But I think that Charlie Morton's is going to get roughed up once again. And I think the Indians are going to be able to get in that bullpen. So for that reason, looking at the plus price here of the Indians and the over. Currently in Wayne C mode on this over to try to see if I'm able to get a little bit more favorable juice. And the Tampa Bay Rays open up as a minus 180 favorite. Money has been all aboard them, so I'm in Wayne C mode to see where this settles. 973-974 on the bank rotation. The Baltimore Orioles hit the road to face off against the Kansas City Royals. Danny Duffy, the Duff Man, goes for the Kansas City Royals. Aaron Brooks hopes to not throw interceptions for the Baltimore Orioles. Total on this game is 10. Under is just a minus 120. The over is even. If you're looking at the Royals, you're going to be laying anywhere between minus 120 and minus 126. Plus price here on the Baltimore Orioles is anywhere between plus 110 and plus 116. It's weird to not see the Baltimore Orioles as a favorite. Oh, yeah, that's right. It only happened twice on the road this entire year, but... I did like the way that Aaron Brooks pitched in his last outing against Washington Nationals. He went six strong innings, not giving up a single earned run. Now keep in mind, this is a gentleman that's giving up more than two home runs for nine innings. And before that start, well, things had not necessarily been going great. As in the month of August, he had given up three or more earned runs in his first three starts. But in his last two against the Royals and the Nationals, he combined one earned run in those 11 innings and two starts. So he's been doing a solid job there. Danny Duffy, he's also a man that likes to give up the long ball. He's given up 1.75 home runs for nine innings. This is a guy that has not necessarily made a lot of starts recently. His last start came on August 3rd, and he wound up giving up eight runs in four and two-thirds innings. Needless to say, that was not ideal, as in three of his last five starts, he's given up at least four earned runs. Coming off the injured list, he can't think he's going to be able to go deep. And for the Kansas City Royals, this bullpen is a hot mess, and it wound up getting used up a lot yesterday. 
Meanwhile, the Baltimore Orioles, it does seem like there is a little bit of momentum on this team, despite the fact that they were unable to pull out that game yesterday. You do have a couple guys that are doing a very good job of being able to get on base, and that all is let off by Hanser Alberto, who's hitting at 321. Against lefties, he's hitting nearly a 400, so he's been very good in that regard. You then at the top lineup have Trey Boom and Mancini and Jonathan Villar hitting between a 275 and a 280. In the case of Mr. Mancini, he's been doing a great job of being able to splice some power, 29 home runs. You've got Renato Nunes, who got the day off yesterday, but his batting average is right around a 250. He has went deep for this team 28 times. Anthony Santander has a solid batting average himself. He's hitting a 291. And then DJ Stewart has come alive for this team, sitting just below a 260. Rio Ruiz is back in the fold. He's hitting a 235. And Pedro Severino at the catcher spot. Seen a dip in his average ever since coming off the injured list, but all in all, his 255 is getting the job done. What's not getting the job done is he's bad. So, C.V. Wilkerson, Chan Sisko, Chris Davis, Richie Martin, and Jace Peterson all hitting a 220 or lower for this bunch. Meanwhile, the Kansas City Royals, you've got something very similar going on as you've got a top lineup that is very good. Jorge Soler has 38 home runs. His batting average is right around a 253. And then you got Ellis Gordon and Chester Cuthbert hitting between a 250 and a 260. Hunter Dozier sitting at 278. His home run count is at a 24. And then Whit Merrifield is hitting at 300. You do have My Breeze, Viloria, and Nicky Lopez both hitting in that 235 realm. But then you've got Bubba Starlin, Ryan O'Hearn, Lucas Judah, Brett Phillips, all hitting a 215 or lower. They certainly have left a whole lot to be desired. And I do think that the Baltimore Orioles have one of the worst bullpens I've ever seen in my life to add to it. They're giving up more than two home runs per nine innings, which is certainly a little bit of an issue. I think the Royals are going to have to dig into their bullpen as well because we don't know what we're going to get out of Danny Duffy, but when he returned from injury earlier this year, he actually was at his best and he actually has been able to cash some plus money tickets this summer. Meanwhile, Theron Brooks, I do think that even though he had a very good two-start stretch recently, he's going to come back to earth. So for that reason, we're going to be looking at the Kansas City Royals here on the run line, and we're going to be taking this total over. With regards to the over, I'm trying to see if this gets down to nine and a half, but I'm going to be playing it regardless. And with the Royals run line, currently at a plus 150, and we'd see trying to see if I'm able to get a little bit more value. If not, certainly going to accept it. 975-976 is a game that was on the board when I was... Sp- when I was talking to Scott Seidenberg. Now it is not, as it is the Seattle Mariners on the road against the Texas Rangers. It was supposed to be Mike Miner going for the Texas Rangers. He has been scratched, and he was supposed to be opposed by Yusei Kikuchi. You were seeing the Texas Rangers as a favorite in this one, right around, I would say, a 150 to a 165, memory serves me correctly. And the total on this game was 10, with the over juice a little bit. And that's why I was looking at the over. Pretty much anyone that the Texas Rangers trots out there is going to make me lean towards the over. We have no idea what the Rangers are going to be doing in this spot, but we know that Yusei Kikuchi has been really lending himself to a lot of contact. 5-9 record, 5.36 ERA. This is a guy that has given up five or more earned runs in three out of his last five starts. In the month of July, he allowed three or more earned runs in two out of his four starts there. In the month of June, he had one start in which he allowed fewer than three earned runs. It just doesn't matter what month it is. This guy stinks. He's given up right around 2.4 home runs per nine innings. Meanwhile, with the Texas Rangers, this isn't a team with a whole lot of power, but you do have to like the way that Danny Santana is playing. Danny Santana certainly has been striking out a little bit too much for this team. He's got one of the highest strikeout rates ever since the All-Star break, but the batting average is good. It's hovering right around 8-290. He's got 24 home runs. Wound up getting the day off yesterday, but you got to figure that he's going to be in the fold today. Then I have a couple guys that are in between a 270 and a 280 in Willie Calhoun and Elvis Andrews. They've both been doing a solid job of getting on base. Nick Solak, when 
He got called up from AAA. I wasn't sure about him, but he's hitting a 342 on base percentage above a 400. Recent form has been very good for him. Jose Trevino had been really struggling at the catcher spot as well, but he's having himself some nice couple games here recently. He's now got his batting average up to a 255 in the line of the Shield Jr., hitting a 247 himself. He's one of the best base heroes out there in the big leagues, but then got a lot of guys that they need to pick it up with their batting averages. You've got Jeff Mathis, Rudnett Ordor, Tim Fedorowicz, Isaiah Kinnear Felfa. Logan Forsyth and Ronald Guzman all hitting under a 230 for this bunch and a bunch that really doesn't have a great bullpen to begin with so it was big that they were able to get a good start yesterday meanwhile for the Seattle Mariners they got a surprisingly good start from Tommy Malone yesterday and the bullpen has really been in good recent form as well but they had just one guy in the lineup yesterday that had a batting average above a 280 so that is a little bit concerning as the batting averages seem to be falling off for the team. Omar Devias and Thomas Murphy have both been very good at the catcher spot but we We've noticed that Thomas Murphy, we've noticed that Omar Nevias has been getting a couple days off. That's big because both these guys hit above a 280 and they have a combined 35 home runs. Austin Knowles has been playing some catcher though. His batting average is dipping a little bit, but he, along with Tim Lopez, are both hitting between a 269 and a 275. Malik Smith sitting right around 241. He's got great wheels along. D. Gordon is hitting a 273, so they've been nice, but then got a lot of guys that do need to be picking up with their batting averages. You've got Jake Fraley, Mac Williamson, Keon Broxson, Daniel Vogelback, and Ryan court all hitting a 220 or lower for this team throwing there Dylan Moore as well Daniel Vogelback I will say his on base percentage is 130 points higher than his batting average and he does have 28 home runs on the year but he's really been cooling down with the power I will say though Kyle Seager has been on absolute fire over the past I would say 35 days this guy has more than 10 home runs he's really upped his batting average more around a 255 so he has certainly been showing some fight here but this is a spot where I certainly think that runs are going to be a plenty I really can't make my determination on whether I'm going to go with the Mariners or the Rangers until I know who's going to be trotted out there, but I'm probably going to be looking at the plus money if at all possible. Check back in the morning on my Twitter feed at GNRSCourty1, but certainly looking at an overside, I just need a pitcher, so I'm sorry I'm just not able to give you too much there. 977-978 on the bang rotation. The LA Angels are going to be playing also the Boston Red Sox. David Price goes for the Red Sox. Andrew Heaney for the LA Angels. Your total on this game is 9.5. The under is just anywhere between minus 115 and minus 120. The over is anywhere between even and minus 105. If you're looking at the Red Sox, well, you're essentially getting a pick'em line here. It's anywhere between minus 105 and minus 110. Meanwhile, with the Angels, that's anywhere between minus 104 and minus 105. And I'm seeing a little bit of even money out there as well. This is just one of these situations where you got essentially a pick'em game. And I do like the Boston Red Sox in this spot with the Boston Red Sox. Going into their series with the LA Angels, they had the top open ERA out there in the big leagues in the month of August. They certainly relented a little bit, and it's going to be very interesting to see what David Price does here, because you don't know how much length he's going to be able to give in his start. He has been on the injured list really since the beginning of August. The last time he started was August 4th. He wound up giving up seven runs and recorded eight out against the Bulls against the New York Yankees. And for that matter, in each of his last four starts before going on the injured list, he had given up three earned runs or more in every one of them, and he had made it past four and a third innings in just one of those starts as well. So needless to say, recent form was not there for him. Meanwhile, Andrew Heaney, he's made a couple starts since coming off the injured list. He's actually looked pretty good recently. I will give him credit. In his four starts in the month of August, he has won six plus innings in three of them, and he's given up a combined five earned runs. And in his last two starts, now both have been against the Texas Rangers, a combined 24 strikeouts in 14 innings. So needless to say, that is very impressive. But you know what else is very impressive? 
How about this Boston Red Sox lineup, ladies and gentlemen? You've got so many guys in the middle of the lineup that have 27-plus home runs and great batting averages. That would be J.D. Martinez, Xander Bogarts, and Rafael Devers. They all have their batting average between a 309 and a 316. They're all supplying that great power. It's just very hard to match up with. Then you've got Christian Vasquez, Andrew Benatendi, and Mookie Betts. In between a 278 and a 288, Mookie Betts had the winning home run a couple days ago, so he's been doing a great job. Brock Holt and Marco Hernandez, both hitting above a 320. I will say that Sandy Leon and Jackie Bradley Jr. are both below a 225, but even Scott Travis is hitting right around a 250. And then you take a look for the LA Angels. Mike Trout, obviously the heart and soul of this team. He's hitting right around a 295. His home run count is a 43, over 100 RBI. But you do have a couple guys around him that are providing a decent batting average as well. And Dalton Simmons is back. Hasn't been necessarily effective since coming off the injured list. But he and Brian Goodwin hitting between a 270 and a 285. You also have to like the fact that Daniel Fletcher is hitting a 285. Shohei Otani has been in and out of the line recently, but he's hitting just below 300 as well. Albert Pools and Cole Calhoun have both been working on their averages. Cole Calhoun, 28 home runs, 237 average. Albert Pools, 19 dingers. He's been hitting a 250. Luis Rangifo's only hitting a 240, though. And then you got a couple guys that they really need to be picking up with their batting averages. Matt Theus, Wilfredo Tovar, Justin Upton, Kevin Smith, and Max Sassy are all guys that are hitting a 225 or lower, so that has obviously been an issue, and I think that the Red Sox are going to be able to essentially muscle their way past the LA Angels. I think that David Price is going to give up some runs, but I think the bullpen is going to be able to help him out in the back end, and I do think that Andrew Heaney falls back to earth, and I do think that the Boston Red Sox are just going to be able to win a slugfest. So for that reason, looking at the Red Sox on the run line and this total over, I was actually seeing a plus 110 offshore on over 9.5. I decided to take it rather than try to get a 9, so we are already locked in there. Meanwhile, with the Red Sox run line, I'm currently seeing that plus 145. I'd like to be able to get a little bit more value if not possible. And since we already did 981, 982, the second of the doubleheader between the Reds and the St. Louis Cardinals, this will be the last one. 979, 980, the lone interleague game between the Atlanta Braves and the Chicago White Sox. Going for the home Atlanta Braves, Julio Tedan. Meanwhile, Lucas Giolito on the bump for the visiting Chicago White Sox. Your total on this game is 9. Under is just a minus 120. The over is even. If you're looking at the White Sox, going to be getting a plus price here. That is anywhere between plus 136 and plus 142. Meanwhile, if you want to lay it with the Bravos. That is anywhere between minus 146 and minus 154. And this is a spot where I've got to be looking at Lucas Giolito. If you've bet $100 on every one of his starts so far this year, you're up over $750. Though Julio Tehran has not been quite as profitable, he certainly has been very good for this team. Don't let the 8-8 record fool you. He's given up less than a home run per 9 innings. He's getting a little bit over 8 strikeouts per 9, but you take a look at him ever since the beginning of the month of May. He's given up more than 3 earned runs in just 3 starts, and he's given up more than Two earned runs in four starts. He has been a rock in his last 13 innings. He has not given up a single earned run. He's had a couple blow-up starts, but all in all, he's been spectacular. Lucas Giolito, I feel like it's the same way. He's had a couple blow-up starts, two bad ones against the Cubs, one against the Minnesota Twins, but all in all, 14-7 and record, 3.20 ERA. He's getting a whole bunch of strikeouts, and he's allowed more than three earned runs in just one start ever since the All-Star break. And he's given up more than two earned runs in just three out of his last 10 starts as well. So he provides the White Sox a fighting chance, a White Sox team that has been very hot and cold with their bats to say the least. But it does seem like they're getting some guys that are doing a solid job of getting on base. Luis Garcia along with Jose Abreu, Ryan Goins, and James McCann are hitting between a 270 and a 285. In the case of Jose Abreu, this is really the measure of this team. He's got over 100 RBI, 
28 home runs. He's been terrific. Yoan Moncada's been now back in the fold. He's hitting just below a 300. Eloy Jimenez has gotten his batting average, hovering right around a 250. And Yomer Sanchez at 260, which is big. Adam Engel has been struggling all year long. Keen Ryan Cordell hitting between a 224 and a 234. But even Wellington Castillo seems to be picking it up a little bit, sitting just above the Mendoza line. But getting back Tim Anderson, also big for the team. He's sending a 325. And then with the Atlanta Braves, you've got all sorts of power on the team. Ozzy Albies wound up being at the leadoff spot yesterday because Ronald Acuna Jr. got a day off, but all these guys, Ozzy Albies, Freddie Freeman, Ronald Acuna Jr., lying between a 285 and a 297 in the case of Acuna Jr. and Freddie Freeman. These two guys have 35-plus home runs. Freddie Freeman, over 100 RBI. Then you got a lot of guys that they just sub in and they do a decent job of being able to get on base. Rafael Ortega sitting right around 250. Matt Joyce at 293. Charlie Culberson a 275-ish. And then you got Josh Johnson and the newly reacclimated Dansby Swanson hitting between a 258 and a 260. And in the case of Josh Johnson, 32 home runs for him. Trey Flowers needs to provide a little bit more at the catcher spot with a 237 batting average, but this team picked up Billy Hamilton. He might be able to give this team a little bit of versatility as well. They're trying to see if a Denny Hedgeveria is going to work out as well. So, all in all, you do have a pretty good Atlanta Braves lineup, but what I do fear with the Atlanta Braves is a bullpen. It certainly has had its woes. It's been in the bottom 10 in the big leagues with regards to ERA ever since the trade deadline. Meanwhile, with the White Sox, silently, they've been doing a very good job with guys like Alex Colome, Aaron Bummer, and company with their bullpen, and I do have a lot of faith in them. So, for that reason... We're going to be taking a look here at the Chicago White Sox, and we're going to be taking this total under. I'm right now not wanting to lay that minus 120 juice. I'm trying to see if I'm able to get an unjuiced 8.5 or a little bit of steam comes in on this over. Meanwhile, with the White Sox, when I checked before I got in this podcast, it was only at plus 140. That is elevated a little bit more, so I'm going to continue to wait there. And that will do it for the Sunday edition of MLB Overtime Betting. We'd like to thank our guest, Scott Seidenberg of the Believe Podcast Network, NBC Sports Radio, and ESPN 98.7 for joining me in the last segment. If you like what you're hearing from this fine podcast, you can subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Spotify, and Stitcher. Ever have a question for the podcast? Feel free to tweet it at GNR41. Let's make today a successful, profitable, and fun one. I'll talk to you guys once again tomorrow. Thank you so much for tuning in.